This is Commission Vice President Toshko Hasegawa convening the regular meeting of June 13th, 2023. The time is 12.04 p.m. We are meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle headquarters building at Pier 69 in the Commission Chambers. Commissioner Cho is absent and excused from today's meeting. Clerk Hart, please call the roll of all the commissioners in attendance. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Here. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Present. Thank you. And Commissioner Mohammed. Present. Thank you. We do have a quorum established here today. Thank you, Clerk Hart. We've got a couple housekeeping items before we begin. For everyone in the meeting room, please turn off your cell phones, put them on silent. For anyone participating on Microsoft Teams, please mute yourselves with your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your cameras off on Teams unless you're a member of the commission or the executive director participating virtually, or if you're a member of staff in a presentation and are actively addressing the commission. To members of the public addressing the commission during public comment, uh, you can go ahead and turn on your cameras on Teams uh, when your name is called to speak, and we'll, you can turn them back off again at the conclusion of the remarks. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off the speakers on any computers and silence your devices. Please also remember to address your request to be recognized uh, to speak through the chair and to wait to speak until you've been recognized. You'll turn your microphones on and off as needed. All the items noted here will ensure a smooth and efficient meeting. Thank you. All votes will be taken by the roll call method, so it is clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. I'd like to open with an acknowledgement that we are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This meeting's being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may be rebroadcast by King County Television. Now, please stand and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And justice for all. And the first item of business today is the approval of the agenda. As a reminder, a commissioner um, may wish to comment for or against an item on the consent agenda. You do not need to pull it from the consent agenda. Uh, rather, a commissioner may offer supporting or opposing comments once the motion to approve the consent agenda is on the floor and before the vote is taken. However, if a commissioner wants to ask questions of staff or wishes to have a dialogue on the consent agenda item, it is appropriate to request the item to be pulled for a separate discussion. Are there any items to be pulled from the consent agenda or any motions to rearrange the orders of the day? Very good. We'll take a motion. Um, with that, uh, the question is now on approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda? So moved. Second. And are there any comments on any items? Yes. I just wanted to acknowledge the item 8E, uh, which was a competition waiver for the uh, nonprofit uh, History Link, which um, is really a unique asset that if the public isn't fully aware of, it, they really are the keeper 
of the history of our region and has done work about the Port of Seattle that really nobody else has. And um, this is an update for that work, acknowledging the 75th anniversary of the airport, as well as updating some of the other work that we've done uh, since that time. And I believe they're, they're going to be working on a project in the future dealing with the transformation of the waterfront, uh, this generational moment that um, I think they'll be working on a book. And hopefully with all our work and being part of that transformation, we can be part of that book as well. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Does any other commissioner have comments on the agenda? Seeing none, I'll call the question. Um, is there any, actually, is there any objection to approval of the agenda as presented? Okay, hearing none, the agenda is approved as presented. Thank you very much. We have no special orders for today. Next on our agenda is the executive director's report. Executive Director Metric, you have the floor. Madam Vice President, uh, Commissioners, good afternoon. I'd like to begin my remarks by wishing everyone a happy Pride Month. Every June, the port joins in the national celebration of Pride as a way to commemorate the incredible impact that the LGBTQIA plus community has had on our, his, on our country's history, culture, and policies. Pride was originally celebrated as a single day and started as a way to remember the Stonewall Riots, which began in Manhattan at the Stonewall Inn on June 28, 1969. The Stonewall Riots were led by a group of transgender women of color and black lesbians and marked a tipping point for the gay rights movement in the United States and worldwide. Eventually, in major cities across the nation, Pride, Pride Day grew to encompass a month-long series of events. This year, our port-wide Pride Employee Resource Group will again march in the Seattle Pride Parade, this time with a choreographed dance routine. Showing support for the community is more important now than ever. For any employee who wants to join, details can be found on Compass. In addition, the port will celebrate another important holiday this Thursday with our annual Juneteenth event at Pier 69. As you know, Juneteenth honors the emancipation of Amer African Americans here in the United States and is celebrated on the anniversary of the order issued by Major General Gordon Granger on June 19, 1865, proclaiming freedom for slaves in Texas. I look forward to joining the Port of Seattle's chapter of Blacks in Government at the celebration, along with a lot of commissioners are already scheduled to be there. This celebration will include great food, vendors, speeches, and performances. I'm particularly inspired by this year's theme, Discovering Our Roots. I'm also proud of the Port of Seattle's leadership in being one of the first local governments under your, under your proclamation or your, your um, motion uh, to declare, to recognize Juneteenth as an employee holiday, for which, which will be observed next Monday. This is yet another example of the efforts of the Port of Seattle to be a model for equity, diversity, and inclusion in a lead, leading in these areas. Turning your attention to some changes in the executive office, I hope you can join me for a celebration of Deputy Executive Director Dave Soike's more than four decades at the port this Friday. In his 43 years of service at the port, he has had 16 different positions, the nearest I can uh, calculate, and he has gone from junior engineer to deputy executive director in that time. As Dave sets sail on new adventures with his wife, Tina, we're excited to hear from current and retired port employees about his incredible impact on many people, projects, and policies here at the port. This event will take place this Friday, June 16th, from 12 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. at the SEA Conference Center. 
Even though Dave is impossible to replace, I'm pleased to announce the hiring of a new Deputy Executive Director. After an extensive and competitive recruiting process, our new Deputy Executive Director will be current Kitsap County Administrator Karen Goon. Karen has served as Kitsap County Administrator since 20, 2014, reporting directly to the County Board of Commissioners. And prior to that role, she served in a number of administrative roles in Pierce County government, including portfolios in transportation, public works, and utilities. Karen holds a uh, JD from Seattle University School of Law, a master's in public administration from Seattle University, and a Bachelor of Arts in, polit in political science from Seattle University. As Deputy, Deputy Executive Director, her duties will include, include overseeing our continuous improvement processes, our strategic initiatives, engineering and construction services, Port of Seattle Police, and Central Procurement Office Departments, as well as the ever-popular special assignments and other duties. I look forward to introducing you to Karen when she assumes her role in mid-July. July 17th, we'll, we'll, when she'll be, we expect her. Moving to today's commission meeting, I'd like to highlight a few items. For executive director delegations in the month of May, I will share that I approved a number of requests under the new delegated authority. And so this just, just give you a flavor of those, and those are published and included uh, in review, uh, provided for all the commissioners. Uh, those include an on-call contract to assess medium voltage systems and conduct electrical repairs on maritime and EDD properties, a request for the purchase of fluorine-free foam, and janitorial services at Pier 69. Uh, one item from our consent agenda that I'd like to highlight is a requested competition waiver to retain the services of 21 century policing on implementation of policing assessment recommendations. As you may remember, 21CP was our consultant in development of the policing assessment recommendations. So we were excited to propose bringing them back to analyze our work and then track our accomplishments uh, in those recommendations and then we'll include that the report when we report back to the commission on uh, Chief Villa, who's here with us today, I believe, will provide uh, that, uh, our progress on those implementation of those recommendations overseen by 21CP as we go forward. Uh, and that, I think that's a great way to look at that and track and hold ourselves accountable to those recommendations. Our main agenda also includes, uh, includes several substantive items, including our effort to bring shore power to Pier 66, an order related to the 160th lot, and briefings on our workforce development effort, efforts in our apprenticeship and priority hire programs. I will have more to say about these items during their introductions. So, Commissioners, this concludes my remarks. Thank you so much, Executive Director Metric, and we are now at committee reports. Uh, Erica Chung, Commission Strategic Advisor, will provide the report. Erica. Good afternoon, Vice President Hasegawa, Commissioners, and Director Metric. I have three reports for you today. On May 24th, Commissioners Hasegawa and Calkins convened the Equity and Workforce Development Committee, where they were briefed on the 2022 Workforce Development Annual Report and the 2022 Apprenticeship and Priority Hire Briefing. Both items are currently scheduled for today's commission meeting. Commissioner Calkins and Mohammed met as part of the Commission Aviation Committee on May 26. The committee discussed several topics, including the port's role in taxi marketing, employee parking, and the lack of transit availability for the third shift employees at SEA, King County and City of Seattle's effort on taxi regulation and minimum fare implementation, and an update on the state's regional airport sites siting efforts. Highline Forum met on May 24th with Des Moines, 
Des Moines Deputy Mayor Tracy Buxton chairing the meeting with Commissioner Fellman attending. Members received three updates during the meeting. Highline uh, College's Vice President for Institutional Advancement, Josh Gertzman, gave an update on their first year back to in-person attendance as the meeting host. Port Federal Senior Government Relations Manager Eric Shinfield reported on the first Port Airport City's joint lobbying effort to Washington, D.C. in April, led by Commissioner Mohammed and Aviation Director Little attending to advocate for the specific federal policy changes to provide more tools and funding in an effort to ameliorate aviation operational impacts. The group met with most of the Washington State's congressional delegation, the Federal Aviation Administration, and staff from other Quiet Skies Caucus congressional staff. There, were, uh, there was consensus that the trip was a success and messaging resonated with our congressional delegation members. Aviation Director Lance Little shared the 2022 and early 2023 work of START and its working groups, Aviation Noise and Federal Policy. One of the work products resulting from the ground noise study conducted last year was a recommendation and forum members agreed to the adoption of language that would encourage the use of continuous taxing to take off. A continuous taxing onto a runway to take off should reduce the noise level in the nearby neighborhoods rather than starting from a full stop where engines need to be revved up to gain momentum. Last year, the additional language was supported to discourage the use of reverse thrust at all times of the day and night. This concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Does anybody have any questions on committees? Seeing none, uh, we are now at the public comment section of our agenda. Thank you, Erica. <laughs> The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by the Commission in its deliberations. Before we take public comment, I want to review our rules for in-person and virtual public comment. Each commenter will have two minutes to speak and should stay within that allotted time. A timer will appear on the screen and a buzzer will sound at the end of your two minutes for each speaker. You must limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of port business. These rules apply to introductory and concluding remarks. All remarks should be addressed to the commission as a body, not to individual commissioners. Disruptions of commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include, but are not limited to the following. Refusal of a speaker to limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of port business, threats and abusive or harassing behavior and language, obscene language and gestures, refusal of a speaker to comply with the allotted time set for the individual speaker's public comment, leaving the podium or testimony table to physically approach commissioners or staff during one's public comment, provided speakers may offer written materials to the commission clerk, and any behavior that disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the meeting. Any disruption will result in a speaker's microphone being immediately shut off and a warning or loss of speaking privileges or removal from the meeting as provided by the Commission's bylaws. Written materials provided to the clerk will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who signed up to speak virtually as well as anyone who has joined us here physically in the chambers. So when the clerk calls your name, if you are joining virtually, please unmute yourself and then repeat your name for the record and your uh, topic related to the conduct of port business. 
If you're on the Teams meeting and at the same time streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. If you're speaking from the room with us today, please come to the testimony table. Repeat your name for the record, state your topic related to the conduct of port business. And with that, Clerk Hart, please call our first speaker. Thank you. Um, we will start in-house with Alex Zimmerman. Alex? Thank you. Yeah, my name, my name is Alex Zimmerman. I'm, I'm sorry, Alex, it didn't come up. Hang on a minute, let me take it down again. Okay, no problem. Sorry, we're having a timer issue. Give me a moment. I like my face. <laughs> <laughs> nice looking guy. Okay, um, it's, it's not coming up. Yeah, go ahead. So it will be or not? Yeah, hang on a second for me, Alex. Okay, no problem. Should be working on my end, it's just not. Yeah, see my face in big screen for free is a good pleasure for me. Remember to share what sound. Good, nice, okay. Thank you, Aubrey. Okay. Go ahead, Alex. Uh, my name is Alex Zimmerman, and I li live in Bellevue more than 35 years. Zihail, my dem. Alex, can you please restate your topic um, yes, related to the conduct yes, of the I will talk, and I have two topics right now about this. But before I want to talk to you about uh, hello to, to my best friend, board commissioner. Zihail, my them Nazi fascist mafioso. Yeah. So first I want to speak about something. Last meeting here, for my understanding, I speak and talk how Seattle connect to port, and you told me it's no connection between port and Seattle. So two weeks ago, three commissioners go to Seattle meeting and ask for Seattle something what is very important for port. Three. What is this talking? This talking so you, by definition, low life, low class people. Is exactly what as I told you many time ago about this. Yeah, <laughs> good evidence. It's number one. Number two. I see this black baby here. You know what this means for very long time. Alex, would you please state your um, topic related to yeah, business? I told you. Second, I will be speak about this problem. What is we have with this black community? Could you um, come? I'm these sorry. People this does not relate to port business. What does it mean? Why is these people here? This I need you to address an agenda. No, I support this exactly. What is I want talking? I want talking about problem. What does we have with this black community? You know what is mean? We have items. Uh, uh, it's not about items. It's not. Don't, don't interrupt me. Don't be too smart. We also have new no, business. No, don't be too smart. Don't be too smart. I'm just asking for you to maintain fairness. Exactly. And speak you interrupt me totally. Nice day. tactic. You are real Nazi pig. It's exactly who you are. Thank you for your time. 
please call the next speaker. Thank you. Yes, our next speaker is virtual, Charles Costanzo. Charles, please uh, restate your name for the record and your conduct related to the topic of the port, please. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Charles Costanzo. Um, on behalf of Puget Sound Pilots, I'd like to uh, speak on behalf of um, cruise industry business for the city of Seattle and the Pacific Northwest region generally. I represent the master mariners licensed by Washington State who safely guide foreign flagged ships into and out of Puget Sound. It's hard to overstate the economic benefit of our cruise industry to Seattle generally and our maritime industry in particular. While the tourist trade is obviously a benefit to our hotels, restaurants, and shops, the maritime industry benefits as well. The industry performs all manner of support services while these vessels are here. Seattle's maritime economy is an interconnected web and having the cruise industry helps us leverage our natural advantages as a maritime city. We also recognize the safety and environmental challenges posed by the cruise industry. Our pilots are proud to be the state's eyes and ears aboard the vessels and we work alongside the Coast Guard and state regulators to ensure that the vessels are operated in a safe manner and are compliant with air and water quality regulations while we are aboard. Uh, our pilots can observe the vessel while it's underway, verify the proper conduct of the crew, and observe the proper functioning of onboard control systems. The pilotage system is integral to ensure these vessels transit safely and understand our local rules and standards. The cruise industry is an important partner for us. For, is an important partner for us, and we're glad that they're here. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Um, our next speaker from the room is Heather Worthley. Heather, please restate your name and your topic related to the conduct of the port, please. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Heather Worthley, and I'm the executive director of Port Jobs, a small nonprofit that runs the Airport Employment Center at SEA, along with the Airport University program. I'm here today to speak in support of 11A, the 2022 Workforce Development Annual Report, and I want to specifically highlight the Career Advancement Pathway Program that the port implemented beginning three years ago with aviation maintenance technology. Port Jobs is privileged and it is our great pleasure to support, along with partner South Seattle College, the aviation maintenance technology pathway. We are going to be teaching the fifth cohort this fall for airport workers and community members at SeaTac Airport. And we are starting to see the first graduates of the two-year eight-quarter program at South Seattle College. Um, people who are just passing the airframe and power plant certification FAA exams and able to take the next step in their careers at higher wages and with more job opportunity in front of them. I also want to congratulate the port on launching its second career pathway at the airport. Uh, the ground service equipment GSE mechanic technician pathway. Thank you for your time. And I um, just want to commend the port on the incredible amount of financial and uh, uh, many, many years of workforce development um, that is culminating now with this Career Advancement Pathway Program. It's not enough for people to get jobs at the airport, even though it is the highest minimum wage in the United States. Um, people need to be able to advance in their careers. And with this program, it's happening. And there's going to be more of it 
next year and a third pathway to come, which we're hoping might be airline pilots. So thank you and keep up the good work. Thank you, Heather. We really are having timer issues today. Thank you for the grace. Appreciate that. Um, our next speaker uh, is virtual, Robert Brown. Robert, if you could please restate your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of the port, please. Great, thank you. Yeah, my name is Robert Brown III. I am the Employer Engagement Program Manager for the Youth Maritime Collaborative and Washington Maritime Blue, and I'm here to talk about or in support of the Youth Maritime Career Launch um, that the port has recently funded. Um, for the past two years, we've uh, at Washington Maritime Blue, we have implemented programs during spring, uh, fall, uh, summer, uh, that all work on workforce development in the maritime industry for youth ages 14 all the way up to 24. Um, and a question that I get a lot is, uh, I really like this program, Mr. Brown, um, what can I do next? And I'm always uh, challenged with um, linking someone who's just started off in the maritime industry, but really has found a pathway, a, a vision, um, and a sense of foundation um, to an actual living wage job. And what the Youth Maritime Career Launch has um, opened up is uh, just that, which is the next step for what we need um, in the industry, um, but also in our workforce development um, uh, process. Um, this process will be a three-month job training um, that really uh, gives the aspirations to employers to hire on uh, youth that come through this program um, after adequate work has been accomplished. Um, without this program, I, I, I don't know exactly know how to uh, connect um, a youth that has went through our summer internship um, and has just been beginning to get their bearings um, to a permanent job. But this really does uh, act as the gap filler um, that is so uh, prevalent and needed um, in the overall process of tapping into our um, uh, BIPOC communities and building a pathway um, from zero experience all the way up into a long-term career in any part of the maritime industry. And so I just want to thank the port for their investment and um, know that it's uh, really going a long way in um, the wraparound support needed to uh, establish a um, supplemental workforce. So thank you, Port, and um, over and out. Thank you, Robert. Our next speaker is Joshua Welter. Joshua? Please go ahead and restate your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of the port. Thank you. Um, my name is Joshua Welcher, Teamsters Local 117. Good to see you, uh, uh, Port Commissioners. Um, I'm speaking today about the order around expanding uh, waiting areas to work at the airport. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not here to talk about taxi. Uh, maybe I'm surprising everybody. Um, although I do want to say that um, uh, some of the work that you're doing here really builds off of successful work in the past, including, um, uh, you know, even looking back years uh, uh, to the um, uh, uh, restroom facilities that were um, uh, um, uh, uh, secured at the at 160th uh, for the taxi community. Um, really, we're um, uh, excited to support the order today to build on the progress. And um, uh, um, uh, we know that a lot of details are going to have to be worked out at the staff level in terms of uh, both the um, 
uh, economy class um, Uber and Lyft experience um, uh, for those folks who work, work at 160th and the space congestion issues that exist there really on a nightly basis when we get into the peak times. Um, but also for the um, limousine and black car drivers that um, uh, uh, serve the airport. And I'm here with uh, uh, some drivers from uh, Drivers Union affiliated with 117 um, uh, 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 that uh, uh, you know want to uh, continue to work with the port on the details of implementation so that there are really um, expanded waiting areas um, uh, for people to be able to wait and serve the airport um, uh, while being able to um, Go to the bathroom, eat, rest, pray, um, and not be in you know conf constant conflict over over space. So appreciate the work um, and look forward to working together with the staff to uh, make the details right. So thank you so much. Thank you, Joshua. Our next speaker is Desalyn Azrat. Desalyn. Thank you. Please restate your name for the record, probably far better than I did, sure. um, and your topic related to the conduct sure. of the port. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners and everyone. Uh, my name is Desaling Azrat, uh, SUV driver over and lift, and uh, uh, union driver's union member. So our topic today is uh, about airport waiting area. Uh, we have an issue already, Joshua started, and we have an issue with uh, waiting area. We have a very shrinked area to wait. We used to have a little bit uh, wider area before COVID, but after COVID, Uber shrinked that area and they took one of the, our waiting area parking spots. So we have uh, an issue with uh, some public uh, communities uh, like gas stations and uh, hotel areas. We have a conflict on parking over there and waiting for our riders. So we... Uh, are asking if Uber give us back that uh, fence area a little bit wider, uh, that would be good. And uh, I would like to say thank you for the commissioners to supporting us. Our next speaker is Kadir Sarah. Kadir, if you would go ahead and restate your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of the port, please. Okay. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Kadir Siraj. I'm a working uh, limousine carrier in Seattle and around. Uh, my uh, question is, before that, uh, I'd like to say thank you for Port Commissioners and the uh, rest of you. And then my question is the same thing as uh, I mentioned uh, my brothers, uh, Shua and others, the Saleh. Same thing, we need the airport area to have uh, expand location because uh, we need more access as limousine uh, drivers. We need uh, to have uh, for uh, passengers like, like the clean everything. So the drivers most waiting area for hours, six hours in the car, especially when it's slow, is really hard for drivers, even for healthy. Uh, it's not uh, necessary to wait in the car. It's cold winter time and summer time in the car is wasting gas and the same thing is winter is very cold. So this is not uh, uh, right for us. So we need to expand at least people they can use a bathroom everywhere, as uh, my brother they mentioned. For for these reasons, please, uh, we just need uh, to solve the, our question. Really, thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. And our next speaker is Ahmed Mohammed.
Ahmed, if you would go ahead and repeat your name and your topic related to the conduct of the port, please. Hi, uh, my name is Ahmed Mohammed. I'm uh, a union member and also Uber and Lyft driver. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank all the commissioner and uh, all the hard work that you guys are doing. I really appreciate you. And uh, and most important thing, a lot of the drivers are uh, and uh, uh, the uh, our topic usually is based on where the uh, waiting lot and expansion of uh, bathrooms and uh, like a lot of my brother says that you know uh, not just the bathroom itself but a way that we can have uh, a clean area so we can warm up our food or just find a way to you know to uh, pray because uh, a lot of the time praying you know and uh, as uh, you know my faith required that I have to pray five times a day for me to find clean bathroom is a very important thing so for me to go into those uh, honey pockets it's a lot more harder for for you to and then go and pray and face God so you, you can you know do your uh, uh, rituals and with that you know uh, I definitely uh, appreciate the fact that you guys are doing all the hard work and you guys are putting all this and uh, agenda and uh, on to focus on all those things and we really appreciate you if anybody doesn't come to you and tell you that deep down our heart we tell you every day that we appreciate you guys thank you very much thank you Ahmed and then um, our last speaker that we have signed up today is Fasil Tika And Fasil, if you could restate your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of the port, please. Sure, thank you. Uh, my name is uh, Fasil Teka. I am one of the driver union's member. Uh, my topics are uh, town car drivers' issues and problems. Uh, first of all, um, first I'd like to say thank you for giving us this opportunity to come and have a meeting uh, with you guys. Um, the last time as a driver's union and as driver's came meeting with you guys was four years ago and we got promised more time to meet with you guys but that did not happen I hope uh, that will should be changed and we get to have more meetings with you guys for mutual and uh, um, for our problems and issues to discuss um, um, uh, we like to like I say we like to attend more uh, meetings um, to um, <clears throat> explain what's our problems and issues um, also, with the driver unions, um, we want you uh, to put our issues in, uh, on your agenda uh, before we come in here. And on your agenda today, we only have one, uh, one things, one items. Um, you have a lot of items we need to talk about it and need to be solved as a drivers. Uh, we've been having a lot of issues uh, uh, with the port and with the city and with Uber and Lyft as well. So we are more concerning with you guys. Um, I'm just going to mention one of the problems since the drivers asked me uh, to ask one of the biggest problem is um, the airport sticker price. Uh, the airport sticker price was um, $435 um, a year ago. Now you charging us $750. That's a um, $315 raise in one year. As you all know, the economy is bad. Our business is going down. And 
I don't see why the Port of Seattle raised $315 in less than in a year. And at least it should have been a few dollars. It should not have been, as a matter of fact, because we are small business owners. We're trying to run our business. Uh, the port is a bigger entity, and now they're making more money than ever been before with the, a lot of cruise ship coming in. But we are getting charged more with the stickers. And also, I'd like to say uh, thank you. Um, for the future, we have so many of um, issues we like to uh, present to you guys with the reading and to have it on your um, agenda. Thank you. Thank you, Fassi. Because Commissioner Crook, You're out of order, and we will ask you to be removed yeah, if you do it again. Clerk Hart, can you give us a summary of any written comments, please? I can. Thank you, Madam Vice President. We actually have not received any written comments for the meeting today. Thank you very much. And that concludes public testimony. Thank you so much to everyone who came to join us today. We've heard you. Um, unless there's anyone else who hasn't signed up for public comment, I'd like to address the commission. Going once, going twice. Um, so moving forward, items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. At this time, the chair will entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda covering items A, 8A, 8B, 8C, 8D, 8E, F, G, H, I, um, and 8K. <clears throat> so moved. The motion has been made and seconded. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Obviously, I missed my spot. Okay. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasekawa. Aye. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. Thank you very much. The motion passes. Okay, folks. Moving on in the agenda, we have uh, two new business items today. Clerk Hart, please read the first item into the record, and Executive Director Metric will then introduce the item. Thank you. This is agenda item 10A, order number 2023-08 an order to pilot a program with transportation network companies that allows drivers to enter the queue to pick up customers at SEA near the airport and to deliver a design for the construction of a sheltered area at the South 160th lot in SeaTac. Commissioners, the current 160th lot provides queuing space for transportation network company drivers waiting for passenger pickups. However, the lot lacks some amenities, including sufficient restroom and resting area facilities. This order will direct the airport staff to work with the TNC companies, drivers, and the surrounding communities to pilot a program in which the drivers can further a field, accessing existing community amenities without losing their place in line. We look forward to learning the, res the results of this pilot, which will help shape our ultimate decision-making about the future investments in the 160th lot infrastructure. Okay. So the presenter is uh, Aaron Pritchard, uh, the Commission Chief of Staff. Thank you, Executive Director Metric and Commissioners. Um, you know, uh, Executive Director Metric covered a lot of the, uh, I believe, the important elements of this uh, order. Um, I just want to note a couple of things. One is that this has been a priority for Commissioner Muhammad in particular since I think the day she arrived. And so we've been taught, we've had a lot of conversations with drivers, with TNC companies, with 
with the uh, executive director and with Lance Little to really try and with the entire ground transportation team. We've toured the lot maybe two or three times with different commissioners, uh, seen the operations, uh, and we've seen uh, you know news articles about this. So it is a very high priority item uh, for the commissioner, and I am pleased to see that she has worked us into a position where we have a, a largely an agreement about how we can proceed. Uh, so uh, I think with that, I will go ahead and just turn it over to uh, Commissioner Mohammed and over through the chair, uh, and and go from there. Thank you, Absolutely. Commissioner. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you, Commission Vice President Hasegawa, for the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, this order is pretty simple. Um, it is intended to help meet the basic needs of drivers. Um, we've heard loud and clear from the driver community the issues that they're facing. And, um, you know, when you go to that lot on the 160th, the 160th lot, drivers are really confined into that space and a lot of the times when you're wanting to take a break outside of that space you're not able to if you want to stay in the queue and I think it's it's very important and I, I believe my colleagues do as well that they should be given um, a, an alternative to be able to one go take a break somewhere else if they want to to go access restrooms places to eat places of worship, meditation, and so forth. If not, it will require us as a commission to build some of that on the facility, on the 160th parking lot. And I think that is the more expensive option. And while today we don't have a specific solution, I don't wanna um, point to one particular decision for us to say this is the pathway that we should go down, but really our common and shared goal is to making sure that we have good working conditions for drivers, that we are providing basic amenities so that they can do this, the important job that they do. Um, the, the TNC drivers approximately bring um, 4 million pickups and drop-offs per year, generating over $20 million um, in revenues for us. And so they are an important part of our ecosystem. And so we have to ensure that we are meeting their needs and that they continue to do this important service for our customers and um, it, it's time that we find solutions and I think you know I also want to just um, point to while the cities near that 160th parking lot have experienced challenges by having the TNC drivers you know driving within their their communities parking in the in the cities I do think that there are a lot of council members in the nearby cities who are really welcoming um, alternatives and, and, and looking at expanding that geofence so that it does go into their cities and we've been in communication with those cities as well. Um, our chief of staff uh, Aaron Pritchard has been in communication with a number of the council members. I have been as well and, um, and yeah we've met with the TNC drivers uh, a number of times. We've met with Uber and Lyft. We've held uh, listening sessions in, in uh, collaboration with all of them to help address some of, some of the issues. Um, I serve on the uh, aviation committee and I served on that committee with Commissioner Cho last year and he did a lot of work on that and now I serve on that committee with Commissioner Ryan Calkins and we're, we're tackling this ground transportation issue. I just want to point, make note that it is really, really challenging. There's a number of issues that we wrestle with on that committee and so the answers are not always clear and we've been working on, on this issue for about a year now and so we're now um, finding a way to move forward and so I just want to recognize that there is a lot of challenges there and I just want to give um, a huge shout out to our port 
staff, the aviation team who work around the clock on ground transportation and we as commissioners bring these really big ideas sometimes and when you think about how does that actually work from the ground, it is, it is not always easy and so I just want to um, acknowledge that and um, express gratitude for the work that they do every day and thank you all for being here today and um, I'm looking forward to this order passing and for us to get to a uh, resolution. Thank you so much, Commissioner Mohaven, and thank you so much, Chief of Staff Aaron Pritchard. Are there any questions from my colleagues? Commissioner Fellerman. I'd like to just personally give you a great thanks for addressing this challenge, and I also want to give thanks to the uh, drivers for showing up, but also their representatives. As soon as I got to the port, I became aware of something I would have no idea about, the squalor that was the bathrooms that they were told it's just fine, and that so without knowing these, unless these problems are brought to us, we don't know what we don't know. And so I thank you for bringing it to our attention. And these things are challenging, as you point out, but I really appreciate you taking on this challenge and the fact that folks bring it to our attention. So if we're going to be representative, we need to know what to represent. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. I just a, I, I like the idea that this is a pilot, too, because as uh, Commissioner Muhammad was referring to oftentimes these um, the tactics or policies we use to try to address issues um, turn out to be counterintuitive and so there it can be unintended consequences so I think it's good that we're going to take a look at it for a year it sounds to me like primarily a technical fix um, which should um, knock on wood be relatively simple um, and it's just common sense to expand these boundaries is uh, a request that we, I think will be mutu mutually advantageous, so I'm certainly supportive. I'll just add that, um, you know, I concur. I think it's both common sense um, and a very reasonable path forward, and I'd just like to acknowledge Commissioner Mohammed for her championship on this issue from day one. In particular, it's not just what you do, but it's how you do it in collaboration with the Teamsters and the drivers with so much at stake. and. Um, the members of the public who continue to show up, weigh in, and make sure that we're educated on the issues, that we can be responsive, so that we can make sure that we're getting to a solution that actually works. Um, so there's more work ahead. Uh, thank you so much, and I look forward to supporting this. Uh, with that, um, with no further questions or comments on this item, is there a motion to approve? So moved. And a second? Second. The motion's been made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Hoskawa. Aye. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. Very good. Thank you very much. And the motion passes. <laughs> Moving forward. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. Executive Director Metric will then introduce it. Thank you. This is agenda item 10B, authorization for the executive director to approve additional funding in the amount of $6 million for construction of the Pier 66 cruise shore power project and to award and execute a contract with the lowest responsible bidder and to enter into all final agreements to support the project, including agreements with tribes. <coughs> Commissioners, as you know, providing shore power to Pier 66 cruise Terminal is essential to our environmental and sustainability goals for our cruise business. Upon completion, this project will reduce carbon emissions and other air particulates from cruise ships at berth and result in all three uh, port cruise berths being shore powered accessible. This will be the first port in the world to have 
uh, at least for a period of time, will be the first will be the first port in the world to have three cruise ship terminal uh, onshore capable berths. We look forward to this project being up and running during the 2024 cruise season. However, in order to meet that timeline, staff is requesting additional funding, which you'll hear about today, to accommodate updated cost estimates as well as to replenish contingency funds to make sure we're not slowed down. Please note that the port will not be responsible for the full cost of the project, which will be reduced by state funding and likely private sector contributions, and those discussions are ongoing. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, Linda Springman, Director of Cruise and Maritime Marketing, uh, to kick us off. And then we have uh, Mark Longridge, Capital Project Manager for the project. So, Linda. Thanks, Executive Director Metric. Um, commissioners, thanks for your time today. Um, can I, uh, I'm, we're here today to talk about the Pier 66 Shore Power Project and a request for um, additional construction funding. If you'll go to the next slide, please. Thanks. Um, uh, just to ground set, um, as you all know, this Pier 66 Bell Street Pier Cruise, or Cruise Terminal was opened in 1999 as a single berth facility, home port to Norwegian Cruise Line and Oceana vessels um, right now. Um, it was upgraded in 2018 with another capital project, which um, Norwegian Cruise Line did participate in. Um, and um, this was the first cruise terminal at Port of Seattle. It will be the final of our three to get shore power. Um, and as Executive Director Metric said, the first to have all three um, berths electrified. Um, this location with its unique um, positioning right on the waterfront and in the middle of the busy um, downtown core has unique challenges to get power to and required a very innovative project and solutions which have added to the complexity. Um, and I would just add as Executive, Met Executive Director Metric also said, it is our absolute expectation that uh, Norwegian Cruise Line, the leaseholder at this terminal, will contribute meaningfully to this project and discussions to this end are progressing. Next slide, please. Um, you've heard this before, but shore power is a key environmental strategy to achieving the goals of the port. Um, this project accomplishes the installation of cruise shore power at Pier 66 in 2024, which is six years ahead of the Northwest Port's clean air strategy, and working with the cruise lines to make 100% of home port calls shore power capable and plugging in by 2030, if not before. Um, shore power is critical to achieving our goal of 50% reduction in greenhouse gas by 2030 and toward our goal of 100% by 2050. Next slide. Um, you've seen this slide before. We've actually added in that graph our 2022 um, progress in actual um, shore power plugins at Terminal 91. Um, the, in 2022, we were able to reduce 2,200 metric tons of CO2 by the shore power plugins that were accomplished, um, and our success has continued to improve. You see a bit of a reduction in 2022 in the percentage from the prior year, um, but just remember in 2021, it was a, a startup about a half of a season, um, so it was much lower volume that we were um, working with and different ships were in port. Um, 2022, as the restart happened for the full season, um, there was some technology and then timing issues that impacted that number, but we fully expect that to recover again in 2023. Um, I, I would just add here and emphasize that we're very fortunate in our region that most of our electricity comes from low carbon, low cost sources like hydroelectricity. So we are a, in a prime position for this electrification of our waterfront. And with that, I will turn it over to Mark to talk about the additional details of the project. 
Uh, thanks, Linda. Next slide, please. So, Commissioners, I'd like to give you a brief recap of the project components just for orientation, cover where we are in the current project status and the details of our request today. As you can see on this map, the project is separated into several components to bring shore power from the south end of Terminal 46 to Pier 66. These include electrical duct banks across Terminal 46 in segments 1 and 2 shown here, including a north extension to be completed and reimbursed by the, sorry, completed for and reimbursed by Seattle City Light for their future use. We then bring the power from the edge of Terminal 46 across the harbor in a submarine cable just, that's just over a mile long from the bulkhead at T46 to under the south end of Pier 66. This cable is approximately six inches in diameter and reaches a maximum depth of about 225 feet out in the harbor in its path across the bay. And the final component of our work is the electrical equipment at the infrastructure to be installed at Pier 66 that steps down the voltage and provides safe transition to shore power for the vessels that are shown here in segment four. Next slide. Several of these project components are long lead materials, including the electrical equipment that I mentioned at 66 and the submarine cable itself. In December of 2021, the commission authorized the purchase of these long lead items, and they are now in production. The cable has been fully manufactured and is on a ship on its way here as we speak. We've completed our design and advertised the contract and opened bids a few weeks ago. We received two bids for the work, and the low bid was 23% over our engineer's estimate which is why we are returning to you today. Today's request will allow us to proceed with a major works installation contract and carry adequate project contingencies to complete the work. We're coming to you today for, with a request for $6 million for a total revised project budget of $44 million. Next slide. As you can see, this, uh, on this slide, the budget is made up of several components, including the Seattle City Light North Extension that I mentioned on the left uh, side of the screen here, which will be reimbursed by Seattle City Light. Our design and construction management costs, the advanced procurement shown here in dark blue, and the major works contract that's shown in light blue. The budget also includes all applicable sales tax, mitigation, and contingencies for the work. There are also several reimbursements that will offset these costs shown on the graph above, including Seattle City Light payments for the North Duck Bank Extension, grants and state funding totaling almost $5 million, and as Linda mentioned, an expected contribution from Norwegian Cruise Lines that's currently in negotiation. Next slide. Our next steps for the project with your approval today is to execute the major works contract as soon as possible and begin the construction work. The cable is scheduled to be delivered in just under a month from now, and we're hoping to conclude our negotiations with Norwegian and bring that to you under separate action next quarter. Site construction would begin as soon as possible and be complete in the second quarter of 2024 as our cruise season begins. Next slide. And with that, we'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Much. Are there any questions from my colleagues? Commissioner Fellman. Thank you very much. And as you know, I'm very supportive of this effort and we'll be supporting it in this, although disappointed in its escalation. One of the, one of the things that is, is um, this is not the only example of, though, that the budget for this is you're talking about a $6 million increase from our last authorization, when in fact this is the second or third escalation from the original estimate. And so I think it's really, for transparency's sake, it's important to recognize that this has been a long road and there have been explanations for it, but this $6 million request does not reflect the path we've been on. And so, I mean, the original 
uh, justification for this was that it was a significant cost savings versus trenching the streets, despite the fact it would have been better doing it earlier. But I'm almost wondering at this point whether that would that would still be the case. Um, but I so I, 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 I and I mentioned this to uh, Ms. Jones Stebbins, and that in hoping that we would be able to have representation of the of the overall. We had the same thing happen with the IAF every quarter or whatever. We'd ask for more money, but we didn't talk about the fact that it was you know significantly more than we originally thought. However, it's the environmental benefits and the costs are what the costs are. I have one question with regards to that in addition to that observation. If we look at the greenhouse gas emission reductions that are on page four, uh, my understanding was that we had the highest number of cruise passengers in 2022 to date in exceedance of 2019, whereas the metric tons averted of CO2 is less. Can you help explain that? Yeah, I can explain it a little bit. Some of the, um, the bulk of the increase in numbers of calls was unfortunately NCL ships that call up here 66, which doesn't have shore power. Um, the other piece of it is as, um, as global cruising had not opened and we got the benefit of additional ships, um, those ships were not, it, were not shore power capable. So that expansion, I think, also caused some of that impact. A, an additional ship at um, Terminal 91 was not able, was not shore power capable. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Uh, yeah, I have similar um, feelings as, as Commissioner Fellman just expressed with regard to, you know, this um, iteration of costs overruns um, over the life of the project, and um, and I I'm supportive and feel like today's. Uh, discussion is more an exercise in hindsight about what next time we can do better to make sure we we don't have these. Um, it may have been that this thing was going to cost forty four million dollars from day one, and we just didn't estimate well, and so you know we're having to uh, adjust upward to meet reality. Um, but as Commissioner Feldman said, maybe you know in hindsight, trenching the street would have been the cheaper option and potentially the less disruptive. I think in particular, one of the lessons that I'm really um, trying to understand in this is, you know, a significant portion of the budget for this project is because we're trying to do it in such a way that it will have minimal to no impact, particularly on um, the usual and accustomed fishing grounds of our tribal partners. And, um, you know, because this is a kind of bespoke project, it's one-off, we, we can't look at 30 other examples of this and say, here's what happened in these same circumstances when we put a cable of this sort in that particular um, depth, et cetera. A lot of it is speculative. And um, as we move forward with a lot of capital, part of what I think we all need to think about in leadership is when is it appropriate to spend money to prevent potential impact versus spend money on real impact. Um, and there are non-financial, non-monetary considerations as well. Um, but I think it might often be the case that covering the costs of real impacts post-construction is better for both parties than trying to figure out ahead of time what those impacts will be and guard against them with 
you know, I think we're, you know, we're burying the cable in uh, concrete coverings and doing everything we can to make sure that nets don't snag and pots don't snag and doing that kind of stuff. And um, so I, I think as we approach these areas where there's environmental sens sensitivities, where there's community sensitivities, we need to ask that question and have that conversation with them. What is better for you? Um, and uh, that could potentially allow us to do significantly more with fewer dollars on both sides of the ledger. So those are my, I'm going to vote in favor of this, but I, I do hope that you know, in, in a uh, period of massive capital expansion at the board that we take lessons from this to heart. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you for the time. Um, I'm intending to support this item, but I'm also really disappointed to see these numbers. And I'm, I'm wondering, what is our, our state and federal strategy to uh, secure some additional grants for this project? So the grants that we have now, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. I have a special guest. I'll take an amateur hour. Uh, take this. So um, we have existing Transalta grants, uh, Department of Ecology grant as well, and some State Department of Commerce funding that was secured during the design. Um, we've looked at opportunities to uh, increase the federal funding for this, for an infrastructure uh, point of view. Um, however, the uh, many of the requirements on the current uh, grant funding, we don't meet, for example, the uh, Buy America policies. So this cable was manufactured overseas, doesn't qualify for it. Um, so we can't meet those thresholds. I know we did look at that, um, and we haven't been able to pursue uh, further grant funding. So we have the, the funding that we have here, but we haven't seen further opportunities for this project. So then that was about $4 million that we've secured, right? Uh, it is uh, $4.9 million total. 4.9, and we don't think that there's anything else out there that we will be going after? Is that what I'm hearing? Get up my chair. I'll, I'll defer. I can help answer that question, Commissioner. Good afternoon, Executive Director, Metric and Commissioners, Pierce Edwards, Senior Director of External Relations. To answer your question on the state side, I think you covered the federal side and some of the restrictions in the IRA grants very well. The legislature did approve uh, financing for $29 million for shore power in the current, bi the upcoming biennium, which starts July 1st. That money is going to be routed through WashDOT, State Department of Transportation, who will be uh, defining what that program will look like and, and uh, what the design and elements of that will be. Uh, WPPA will be the port's lead on helping uh, develop that framework. We're going to be working closely with Eric Fitch and his staff to do that. This project, as, as was noted, did get $2 million in state funding a couple years back. It doesn't mean we can't go back and get more or ask for more. Uh, but uh, the $29 million will be for all ports in the state, so it will be competitive. But yes, there's other opportunities for state funding to answer your question, Commissioner. Could we do that in joint partnership with another agency, maybe the city of Seattle, to make, a, make that application They could be supportive, I'm sure, yes. We, we commonly help other agencies when they do applications. We could ask the city of Seattle to help us. Yeah, I think that would be helpful if we can get commission update on that sure. and if there are ways that we can play a role in helping secure some of those dollars okay. elsewhere. Sure. Um, that concludes my federal okay. and state questions, but I do have a question about just shore power in general. So how, if you can maybe, uh, we're spending all this money and making this huge investment in um, putting shore power in 66, how are we making sure that NCL, other folks maybe in the future will plug in to, to, that, to that power? 
Great question. So as we're having this discussion about NCL and funding collaboration, and we're also having discussions about um, the timing that they bring the ships that are shore power capable. We already have a requirement in our tariff that says um, if your ship is shore power capable, that the requirement is that you plug in. So we're having discussions about how to accelerate the 2030 timing, which is out there now um, to uh, earlier dates. And that's part of our ongoing negotiation. Okay, so um, I think that's especially important if we're the ones that are footing that bill yeah. as part of that negotiation is ensuring that they do plug in if we're gonna make this type of investment in this work. And so um, I just wanna emphasize that. And then I know Commissioner Calkin said that there's not a lot of examples out there that are similar to this project, but is that is there any other agencies you can compare us to in um, seeing this trend where where these numbers are escalating? Are there other uh, agencies you guys can point to, to to provide some level of comparisons? So we certainly have seen an unprecedented escalation in. Uh, construction costs, and in particular, uh, really high demand in, in heavy marine civil construction currently. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of demand. We're seeing a very tight market. We saw that in our material procurements as well, and that's reflected in the lead times. Um, so uh, we certainly do see that. We work with our estimators to try and, and predict that, but we see continued escalation and beyond what we expect it to. Thank you for the answers. That concludes my questions. I'd just like to recognize Stephanie Jones Stephens, who has her hand raised on Teams. Thank you. And uh, before I speak, if, uh, thank you. I'm uh, coming to you remotely, but this is a really important issue. But if, if uh, Executive Director Metric would like to speak first, I can follow, or I can speak to. I have a couple things to respond. Well, I'd like to say just a, a couple things. One, uh, Commissioner is really uh, the. the Escalating cost is a concern to staff as well. And uh, on the waterfront, we have a major effort going on right now to really look at uh, look at our overall project delivery. We've brought in outside experts. We're looking internally at, at key different elements. So we have we in recognition of this. This is a, a major focus, and I absolutely uh, um, agree. Uh, that it is a concern, uh, and you know, one thing I, I will say, I'm, I'm here right now at a green tech conference, and this is an issue I am hearing very broadly that with the, the pandemic, uh, supply chain issues, inflation, uh, this is not a, an issue that the Port of Seattle alone is experienced. We are seeing um, significant cost increases on projects, and we know specifically when it comes to a project that I have never thought of a project as bespoke. That's a wonderful uh, turn of phrase, Commissioner. That a project like this that's so innovative, there are going to be uh, there are going to be things. I don't know if it would be more expensive than um, now if we were going to trench with uh, streets, for instance. But I do know that where we that um, that with the innovative methods we are partaking, it's I think an unfortunate. Um, it is unfortunate, but there will be uh, it, it, there will be unforeseen incidents. I do feel like this is the sort of things as we really confront climate change and doing things that have never been done, we may come across. But I I do appreciate the fact that we are really focusing on how we can uh, be more predictive when we come to you. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Director Stebbins. 
I think my um, thoughts on this um, really reflect the sentiments already shared by my colleagues. And it's like this project is sure power or die trying, right? I'm disappointed that this is the third time that we've had cost increase associated with this project. Um, but I plan to approve it because it is a priority for the majority of King County voters and, um, and residents. Um, I am keeping my eyes on the goal of being the first port in the world to be able to offer three shore power stations. And, um, you know, I, um, I think about where the funding sources are coming from. I'm pleased to hear that there's going to be new streams coming from the state government, who's been a tremendous partner in sharing this vision and the way to get to there. But I think it needs to be really um, crystal clear that the other funding source for this should be our tenant themselves. They have benefited from an increase in business. Uh, they have everything to stake in us being able to get us right. And I would expect them to be cheerful, proactive contributors towards this vision and towards this project. And if they aren't, there's another cruise line that will be. So, um, so with that, um, I plan to support this ask. Um, are there any other comments from my colleagues from the dais at this time? Um, I will recognize Commissioner Calkins. I, I, I wanted to um, mention that I'd asked Director John Stebbins a, a very particular question, which is there's a segment of the construction work that's happening on the land side. Mm -hmm. And so I asked her to clarify how much of that split cost is, is between us and between Seattle City Light, the, the utility provider. That in, it, as I was wrestling with this question, I know it's something that's, you know, is a question that's been asked throughout this project. How much is the responsibility of the utility and how much is the responsibility of the customer? And to your point, we're, we're really just a pass-through. The customer is the, the ship owner. And, um, and so in this case, in, and she was able to give me um, a, a really good explanation. It does feel a bit like you know, when your cable provider then charges you for the modem as well. I was like, no, wait a second. Aren't I buying a service from you? And, mm -hmm. and now you're renting me the equipment to buy that service in the first place. Um, but it is a part of a longer process about a much more complicated system of uh, electrical uses along the waterfront. And so that answer was satisfying for me in terms of uh, a, a reasonable and fair split between the utility and us. We're going to go to Commissioner Fellman, then Commissioner Mohammed, and then Executive Director Metric. Uh, thank you for bringing that up, uh, Commissioner Calkins. The, um, the, one of the failures of the city in, in planning the waterfront transformation was not to put in a utility locker that ran the entire waterfront. So this is something that uh, Bob Donegan brought to my attention, that he also has a, a problem with getting power to his site. And, that, and I was advocating back in the day that we should just run the conduit and we'll fill it with wire in the future. Um, but in fact, you know, we should have been able to do this retrospectively but there isn't a dedicated corridor in which to run any of the utilities. That is a failure of planning, as I can understand. And so it then becomes much more expensive on us to be just that service provider. Thank you. Um, I, I just had uh, one other question for Director um, Stebbins. Uh, these, the dollars, so we're paying for this through the cruise revenues that we make, we generate, right? Like, so this $6 million, $44 million, 
um, is all coming out of the money that we make from crews. Is that correct? So I, uh, yes, until we also have a partnership from our tenant, as Commissioner uh, Hasegawa referred to, but this will definitely not be, for instance, paid for through like the tax levy. This is from our business revenues, yes. Great, thank you. Thanks, Vice President Hasegawa. The, just a just to say a couple comments on the things that the commissioner has mentioned here. Again, appreciate all your support of, of us focusing on the outcome that we want and and, uh, and and understanding where we were when we started this project and some of the waterfront electrification and knowing where we are today. We have to deal with the, the situation that we have. And I agree with you, Commissioner Fellman, uh, you know, of, of the, there's a lot of things that could have been done where we were. I would, we haven't done that analysis, but I, I can absolutely guarantee to go back and to do it a different way, even today, would be more expensive than, than I would bet uh, whatever I have on that, and I would take that bet that it would be more expensive. That this is still the best way to get this power, to make it happen within that. Because there's a couple of factors here, too. Just let me just comment. You know, this is the only, this is the first time for an increase we've come back to you. We talked about some of the estimates before, but the action for construction, we, we came to you in January of 23. And this goes back to, the facts that we knew at that time. We came to you in December with the design and permitting authorization, and then we came to you for advanced procurement, which lowered the cost of, of some of those things in the long lead time. But I, I just want to say that, that we haven't come back continuously for increases in the programs. This is the first cost that should, you know, uh, knock on wood, this will be the last time we come to you before we complete the project on this. But uh, I just wanted to point that out. And But I do want to say also that, um, you know, the the, as I, tr as I talk with other ports, as, uh, as uh, Managing Director um, Joan Stebbins was talking about, as we travel around, everybody is faced around the world with the same demand for the same equipment. The searching equipment, the, the, uh, the long lead times, and the demands for electrification. So, and that, and that uh, the inflation rate is part of this, I imagine, driving the costs when we originally started looking at this back in, in 2019, have driven the cost up on that, and we didn't anticipate the uh, the pandemic to affect those things as well. So I just want to say is that you know I appreciate your support of the of the support on this, and we'll try to. But I do want to also notice uh, Commissioner Hawkins's comments about anticipating things that are activity. There's things that we should learn from this, especially about uh, activities that we may not anticipate them. Uh, impacting tribal uh, usual and custom fishing rights. We should be looking forward to any of our activities with that front and center. And we have, talking with all the staff, that is something we're building into the process to do that. So just wanted to say um, uh, thanks yeah. for that. So. Absolutely. Do, and I have uh, another question from Commissioner Feldman. Uh, so I, I distinctly remember the original estimate was like $14 million. And, and I believe there might have actually been, the initial estimate I think was $8 million. And so if we didn't specifically authorize that, whatever authorization we were given was predicated on the understanding that, I, honestly, I think it was originally eight, then it went to 14. And then now it's, you know, four times that. So, um, so I, I mean, in terms of your suggestion that this is the first time we're coming back with a cost increase, it's certainly not anywhere near what my recollection is. 
not coming to, but asking. I mean, the action to request that. I just want to clarify the difference between what our estimates were, and I, and I understand that. But of course, it goes back into the the, the certainty that you have of where you are in the project. Obviously, I, I admit that. I admit yeah, that I'm, I'm not questioning that there were reasons for the cost overruns and stuff like that. But it's just when we, my point was, this like any project, when we go and are asked for an additional amount of money, it should be, we should be reminded of. Where we started, not that you know. I it's hear just, you it's just six million dollars from the last time. It's six million dollars well, on top of a quadruple. And I could, not to, and along with that, I would like to show at the same time where we were in the cone of certainty yeah, of the process. But this with the with the scope. Anyway, that would be the thank you. Concur. And thank Commissioner you. Calkins, Commissioner Mohammed. All right. Seeing no further questions or comments from commissioners, is there a motion um, and a second to approve? So moved. Second. All right. I'll follow my sword for this one. <laughs> the motion has been made and seconded. Claire Carr, please call the roll for the vote. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. Thank you very much. Moving. Oh, the motion passes. Uh, moving to item 11, presentations and staff reports. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. Thank Executive you. Director Metro Golden introduced it. Before I do that, Madam Vice President, I just wanted to note that we do have uh, several speakers today and limited seating, so we've asked the speakers rotate in and out. Um, certainly someone can sit over at the side table, but the mics over there aren't working. Um, so this is uh, agenda item 11A, the 2022 Workforce Development Annual Report. Commissioners, uh, workforce development is critical to achieving the port's mission to create opportunity. The port continues to invest in regional workforce development. We've made a significant commitment for in in increased funding in maritime programs, as well as enhancing career development opportunities in port-related industries, uh, especially for the communities that have historically been excluded in the past. In 2022, the port invested $2.5 in external workforce development programs in the port, related sectors of aviation, construction trades, and maritime. The port also supported the Maritime High School, the Maritime Youth, Youth Maritime Collaborative, and the DIRT Corps to train for jo green jobs in the Duwamish Valley. Staff will present trends, challenges, and opportunities for 2023, and you'll also hear from presenters externally who have benefited from the port-funded programs. There's a number of presenters, so I think I'm just gonna turn over to Workforce Development uh, Director uh, Luis Navarro uh, to kick off from there, and then for both the port staff and the uh, external speakers. <clears throat> Thank you, um, Executive Director Metric. Uh, commissioners, I'm Luis Navarro, Director of Workforce Development in the Office of Equity, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Today I'm joined by my teammates, Carl Hugel and Tiffany Sevilla, who will contribute to presenting the 2022 results of the Port of Seattle's investment in community workforce development. We also want to describe the work on their way in 2023, the trends, challenges, and opportunities we observe as we pro promote equitable access to quality jobs in the port sectors of aviation, maritime, construction, and green jobs. We continue to effectively outreach to communities of color, immigrant refugee communities, and women to enter port sectors through our work. The Workforce Development Resolution 3776 approved by the Port Commission requires us to provide you with an annual report 
as well as the RCW of 5308245. You will also hear today from some of the community members that have benefited from this work, and I look forward to their testimony. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, Tiffany, who will begin the process of giving you the information. Next slide, please. Thank you, Luis. Uh, Executive Director and Commissioners, um, before we dive deep into the data, oh, you can actually go to the next slide. I wanted to point out that uh, last year we updated the, um, the Ports Equity Index so that you and anyone else can actually see where the port is prioritizing its workforce development investments. Um, so on the right side of the equity index now, people can click on a feature that shows where our workforce development programs are. And in the left-hand panel, there is more detail about uh, the different programs and the level of investment. Um, we use tools like this map to show that we are aligning our investment priorities with the um, areas of greatest need. You can see on the equity index that um, areas with very low equity are shown in white. Um, those with a lot of access to economic opportunity and quality of life um, are shown in the darker blue color. And now I'll pass it to Carl. And so this map um, covers um, the reach of our program efforts here in uh, workforce development. Our programs assisted over 1,600 people over the, uh, from over a dozen zip code, uh, I'm sorry, over a dozen counties in Washington. Um, the darker areas on the map indicate the zip codes from where the highest concentration of people we supported reside. 70% of those we, that, that were served uh, come from structurally uh, excluded zip codes here in King County, um, which is 15% higher than uh, last year. Uh, the city of SeaTac um, posted the highest number of people with 229 people placed in either an apprenticeship or a job in construction or a job at the airport followed by Des Moines with 122 people and East Kent with 101 people. Uh, poor jobs recorded an increase of 18% in job placements in 2022 from the previous year to support new demand uh, at the airport for workers as travel near pre-COVID numbers. Uh, the average wage uh, was $18.82 per hour. In construction, uh, we had 19% increase in the number of people placed in apprenticeship opportunities on construction jobs. Uh, while the starting pay um, was at $23 an hour at entry, apprentices earned an average of $37 an hour after six months. Next slide, please. So in 2022, um, the port invested almost $2.5 million in workforce development efforts in port-related sectors. Additionally, we leveraged $1.5 million in funding and resources to complement our efforts. This funding provided training that was necessary to meet the industry's needs and develop worker competencies. Nearly 200 construction pre-apprentices were given over 120 hours of training on safety, tool handling, construction math, blueprinting, and equipment orientation. Some of, the, some of our airport workers training included logistics, airplane repair, business math, emergency management, and site of badge preparation. The site of badge preparation is significant because uh, for 59% of all new hires, 
at the uh, airport uh, through poor jobs, uh, English was not their first language or was not their primary language. These efforts remove barriers to entry into employment for our immigrant communities and express our efforts to promote and carry out equitable practices uh, for our community. Overall, we saw a sharp 45% increase in trainings rendered to support our workers. And while the workforce sectors continue to lack diversity and limit exposure to BIPOC and women, we continue to be deliberate in advancing equitable access toward economic prosperity. According to the Workforce Development Council, City Seattle, uh, Workforce Development Council, Seattle, King County, uh, income disparities in King County fall along racial lines. Overall, 86% of those supported by our workforce development efforts were people of color. Additionally, in construction, women from poor funded construction pre-apprenticeship training programs uh, made up nearly a third of all new placements, graduating at a rate of 87%. These efforts line up with the shift in placements, um, shift in culture uh, we aspire to in construction and allow us to direct uh, partner conversations and applying continuous improvement strategies for outreach for our workforce development programs. I'll pass it off to Luis. Thank you, Carl. So um, commissioners of both Carl and Tiffany manage uh, specific sectors in workforce development. I want to talk about the programs that are being supported with your uh, guidance and, and approval of our budget. In aviation, we continue to fund the Airport Employment Center, operated by Port Jobs, serving thousands of job seekers. We also continue to offer an introduction to the Aviation Maintenance Technician, or AMT Career Pathway, which provides airport workers and community members with access to training in, uh, in an in-demand uh, career as aviation mechanics. You'll hear from someone today who has benefited from that program. This year, we're also introducing a second career pathway uh, for uh, ground service equipment mechanics at the airport. And we are offering uh, this year as well a CDL uh, license opportunities for community members to earn their CDL uh, driver's license for bus driving. And we have a need at the airport for bus drivers. Now community members can benefit from this and apply for jobs as bus drivers at, at the Port of Seattle. In construction, we continue to invest in worker outreach training, navigation, and retention, and retention services through various partner organizations. We also do this collaboration with our internal partners in the construction groups, including the port construction services that you will hear from today about their priority higher uh, program and apprenticeship program on port sectors. And in Maritime, we have started the commission-approved uh, career launch uh, pathway, a career launch program that will invest over $4 million in the next three years to bring more youth into Maritime. So thank you, Commissioner Mohammed, for that uh, support. And in Green Jobs, which is an important area of work, we continue to support the partnership with the Duwamish Valley Green Jobs Corps as well as we are conducting an analysis of the green careers of the future with help of our consultant uh, Seattle Jobs Initiative and we'll be providing a report uh, at the right time from that. Next, um, we'll provide to you some of the challenges and opportunities uh, and I'll turn it back to Carl. Next slide, please. Oh, thank you, Luis. Next slide, please. 
So as you may imagine, the implementation of our workforce development strategies is an iterative process. Uh, they come with new challenges and emerging situations that are community-centered. Ultimately, they also serve as opportunities to problem-solve and collaborate, daring us to uh, further our influence and stretch the limits of our policy directive to advance our strategic objectives and initiatives. More than that, they offer an our reminder that our work in workforce development is not about we the port and them, it's us collectively. We observe that community-based organizations run into challenges with capacity building, understanding our procurement uh, processes, and limit knowledge, uh, limited knowledge of our um, industries. Retrieving construction apprenticeship data from Washington State labor and industries is hindered by a new state law that limits our understanding of how our investments and protocols impact the larger workforce. And while childcare uh, has always been a workforce issue, we, we also see that this is a significant impact on construction apprentices that work on projects. Uh, as, many, as, as for many in the construction industry, uh, work begins at early in the morning and they're asked to travel all throughout the Tri-County region and sometimes even beyond just to go to work. Uh, language access efforts uh, have emerged as an equalizer for uh, supporting uh, our job seekers at the airport. We're starting to incorporate a multi-language uh, subtitles in all of our videos and um, discussing more effective approaches to uh, uh, program information. In the subsequent slides, we'll lay out uh, how we've uh, arrived at um, working towards completing some of those challenges. Uh, next slide, please. I'll pass it off to Tiffany. Thanks, Carl. So in response to our observations that community-based organizations uh, could really use more support in doing the work that we rely on them for, which is communi communicating uh, port-related opportunities to their communities. We created last year the uh, Working with the Port 101 workshop series, um, which introduces uh, the port's equity commitments and funding opportunities to community-based organizations um, who might not be familiar with working with the port and how to access these funding opportunities and, and what's important to the port. Um, so we start by introducing uh, the port itself and then we do a deep dive um, into contracting requirements and um, uh, demystify some of the process involved in getting funding from a special purpose government. Um, in addition to that, besides just opening up um, those opportunities, it's, it's a chance for us to connect, to give the community-based organizations a face on the inside, so to speak, to ask questions about these opportunities. Um, and we've been happy to continue uh, hosting these workshops this year. Next slide, and I'll pass it back to Carl. Uh, thanks, Tiffany. So our strategic partnerships um, include influencing um, uh, the regional workforce system. Uh, for example, our programs have already impacted the curriculum at local colleges, our commitment to ensuring uh, the future workforce is ready to enter uh, port-related sectors includes partnerships with the Highline Community College and South Seattle College, uh, which teach uh, the Airport University aviation uh, maintenance and uh, cargo logistics classes. In addition, our partnership with South Seattle—I'm sorry, South Seattle Central College's uh, pre-apprenticeship construction training program, or PAC—not uh, only offers 22 college credits uh, that students can put toward a degree upon exit of their program, uh, but it also provides quality training 
um, needed to uh, work in construction. Uh, regionally, uh, we work pretty collaboratively with our regional public owners. We continue to uh, work around our strategic goals and fostering a respectful, inclusive work experience for on our construction job sites and extending uh, that influence uh, to promote diversity, both promote diversification and improve retention. Um, this includes deliberately stimulating um, the trade pipeline with skilled, diverse construction workers uh, through, uh, through workforce investments and ensuring that those workers feel welcome and uh, have a sense of belonging in this space. Um, our workforce investments have contributed uh, to the growth of the regional, growth within the region of uh, BIPOC apprentices by 11% since 2015 and it's continuing to grow. Um, in addition, as with the recent passage of House Bill uh, 1050 in this year's legislative session at the state level, uh, every city, county, port district, and other public agency will soon be required to increase the number of apprentices to perform any construction, alteration, repair, or improvement uh, that is executed at the cost of the state or municipality. So actions like uh, this reinforced the necessity for public owners to find more alignment, better alignment, and more common ground uh, in, in, as we ready ourselves for this change. Uh, the public agencies have also been actively presenting to our labor partners uh, the workforce demand analysis, which was um, conducted last year that spells out uh, where the workforce shortages are uh, in the construction uh, arena and where we uh, can collaborate uh, to meet our future workforce needs. These discussions have included practices for recruitment and retention to complete our project needs, uh, dispatching protocols for priority hire workers, um, and training for apprentices and journey persons uh, to mitigate harassment and bullying on our job sites. Um, we continue to advocate for outreach and training to communities that are uh, historically, uh, structurally uh, excluded. The job readiness and pre-apprenticeship training uh, and construction continue to kind of serve as a main entry uh, for many of our uh, uh, underserved um, to receive construction training and apprenticeship placements. And implementation of our priority hire and apprenticeship utilization programs continue to serve um, as a place where apprentices, people of color and women, get an opportunity to earn a prevailing wage and cut their teeth in, in the construction industry. At the same time, um, you know, um, at the same time they, they learn while they're in these apprenticeship programs, they're learning and they're getting their career started. Um, as the future workforce, uh, regional workforce looks to be younger and more diverse than ever, uh, we urge our union partners and contractors to make concessions for their development um, and growth in the construction industry through training that is culturally competent, relevant, and aligns with worker needs. I'll pass it off to Tiffany. Next slide, please. So another regional partnership I'd like to highlight is our um, collaboration with King County and the City of Seattle to stand up a regional green jobs coalition. Um, so far we have assembled a steering committee consisting of employers, training organizations, education partners, um, and labor unions to determine a governance and financial framework for this coalition. Um, in fact, we're meeting this week to select a governance um, framework and financial framework for what this coalition will look like. The goal really is to collaborate together um, on shaping and funding regional priorities for growing green jobs for frontline communities and uh, 
the, the next steps after we've figured out these frameworks are going to be actually standing up the coalition. Next slide, please. Um, so I'd like next to talk about some trends that started last year, but we're excited to see continue moving forward this year. Um, the Duwamish Valley Green Jobs Corps uh, started a couple of years ago without a lot of involvement from the workforce development team and um, really uh, excelled with on-water environmental education and natural resource um, experiences uh, centered around habitat restoration along the Duwamish River. However, last year um, I was able to collaborate with Dirt Corps on the curriculum to uh, offer the youth a series of workplace tours, um, both in aviation environmental careers, so the photo on the left is us learning about stormwater management at the airport, um, and then on the photo on the right we are visiting the uh, Maritime Institute for Training and Graduate Studies and using the Maritime Navigation Simulator. Um, this year, uh, I'm happy to be able to continue this partnership with Dirt Corps and actually offer weekly worksite tours um, for more holistic, career-connected learning in green jobs across port-related industries. Next slide, please. And then, of course, last year, we kicked off our Youth Maritime Career Launch Program. Um, our three partners are Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle, the Polytech, and Washington Maritime Blue. Um, Urban League is in collaboration with Sound Experience and the Seattle Skills Center. And Maritime Blue is working with Evergreen Goodwill, El Centro de la Raza, and Siliana Consulting. Um, you can see uh, our partners were able to visit Pier 69 at the beginning of this year and thank Commissioner Mohammed personally for her championship of this work. Um, Partners have uh, completed the first phase of this program, which is uh, roundtable meetings with maritime employers, and they have begun penciling soft agreements with those employers to um, eventually place interns. Uh, maritime skills training and, and general career um, support is taking place this summer. You heard uh, Robert speak to that earlier from Maritime Blue. Um, and later I'll have one of our partners from Urban League speak to um, this collaboration as well. Uh, we've already learned a lot about the capacity of this industry to place interns and are, are making adjustments um, to this program that'll help us better support youth in the following two years um, of this pilot program. And uh, I look forward to keeping you updated uh, as we continue to um, as we continue to implement this amazing program. Next slide, please. So, and I'll pass it to Luis. Thank you, Tiffany and Carl. Uh, I just wanted to give you a, a, a brief, brief overview of the 2023 priorities. We are almost at the half year point, and therefore it, would, it is appropriate that we tell you where we are uh, so far. Next slide, please. So we continue to invest in all port sectors that we have as priority sectors, maritime, construction, aviation, and green careers. We also want to ensure that navigation and reten retention services are added to our contracts. Not only we want people to be trained, but we want to uh, walk with them for two, three years and see what barriers they encounter once they are trained. We also want to 
continue the analysis of green jobs so we can learn from uh, the data where our funding can be most effective. Uh, act, language access programs is something that I am very engaged in with uh, partners across uh, the region. The city of Seattle has a great program and Commissioner Mohammed, you have been um, working with the Immigrant uh, and Refugee Office and, and a great program and we're trying to learn from others, other jurisdictions, how they work with immigrant refugees to implement uh, the Port of Seattle, something that makes sense for us. Uh, developing uh, a program to support taxi drivers who want to continue to be better taxi drivers or may be interested in pursuing another career. We know many of them bring incredible skills from their home countries. And as an immigrant, it is always great to know that someone wants to help me improve my own skills. Uh, we'll continue to evaluate new sectors, sectors, perhaps transportation, manufacturing, into the future. So I'm going to turn it over to Carl for uh, the final slide before our speakers, and we'll try to. Uh, oh, thank you, Luis. Um, and so the implementation of our workforce strategies begin with outreach. Uh, we recognize uh, who our programs are supporting, uh, the opportunities they offer always draw uh, us, and the opportunities they offer always draws back to our communities. Uh, their input is critical to our success in this work and continues to inform our strategies. Um, through our workforce investment programs and partnerships, collaborations with uh, other public agencies, and direct engagement, we express our equity policies and programming uh, with the advancement and development of our communities in mind. Our team is home when we are involved in sharing information with our communities about how to access our workforce development programs, uh, building relationships and providing uh, program guidance uh, to other public agencies and uh, community-based organizations, especially uh, those that support our refugee and immigrant communities, uh, participating in roundtable discussions and sector-based uh, workforce uh, uh, sector collaborations like Tiffany's uh, Green Jobs um, Steering Committee or the Rainier, I'm sorry, the uh, pre-apprenticeship, regional pre-apprenticeship collaboration, um, um, working with um, internal departments uh, like external relations and our talent connections team um, in HR to promote internships and, and training opportunities within the framework of uh, career-connected learning, um, and inviting our consultants and our partners to uh, share their platform with our communities at events that we host or events that we become aware of to increase our um, uh, rate of um, um, uh, outreach and, and um, bring those folks into these workforce sectors. So we're really excited about uh, continuing this work and continuing our efforts to uh, provide outreach um, and uh, support to, to, uh, to our folks. I'll pass it off to Luis. Commissioners, uh, we have several folks who, three, four maybe, who will speak. But if you have any questions before they come to the mic, and what we're going to do is we're going to allow them to use this three mics. We have, I think, three individuals. Uh, but if you have any questions now or wait until after, uh, your pleasure, commissioners. I think we'll go ahead and take a couple questions now, recognizing Commissioner Mohammed. Okay, we can wait if you want to. You can hold on to them. Um, no, it's okay. Okay. Right into it. Um, well, first of all, I want to thank you guys for uh, the work that you do. Uh, I can. Uh, I've participated in a number of 
the roundtable meetings and also just um, been a thought partner to many of you guys. And so I just want to express gratitude to you first. Um, the questions that I had were one around, um, I know language access gets called out a lot in the, the, the planning or the 2023 um, priorities. Um, is ethnic media part of that strategy? Hmm. Um, media, uh, one way the media can be helpful is uh, the ethnic media as, as we refer to them. They can be a megaphone for us and our program, but uh, we're also using community-based organizations to help uh, get the information to the right communities. For example, I have a contract with partner in employment and they serve the immigrant refugee communities and they help translate the job requirements at the airport in the languages the community speaks. But the media should be indeed part of it. Not, so long, not only the media, but the Port of Seattle own blogs and information and we're going to be working with communications to hopefully introduce uh, multi-language information available to them, if that, that is the question. I, I appreciate your answer. I mean, you, you point out in slide nine the capacity issues with nonprofits, and I, I recognize that as well. There's um, often they're overworked, underpaid yes. in the work that they do, and I think um, you know it's something to think about, yeah. combining that strategy around language access with ethnic media, because they do amplify that work, and I know you mentioned the Seattle Office of Immigrant Refugee Affairs, yes. and that is that is a strategy that Perfect. we often um, implement, and I, it's one that I recommend. And then the, the other thing that I wanted to ask is, um, there wasn't really a breakdown of the goals for the nonprofit organizations that you guys do contract with. Is there an expectation of how many people they're supposed to reach? Are those goals being hit? Are they under? Like, how do we measure the investments that we're putting in? So we have, on an annual basis, conversations with our uh, contractors that provide the services. And in fact, in their contract, they're required to meet milestones of number of people trained, number of people placed into either apprenticeships or jobs, like the Airport Employment Center. We already know what the expectation is for 2024, although it will change depending on the growth of the airport, but in construction, Carl, who manages construction has those uh, requirements uh, as part of the contract and we track those on a regular basis. Maybe we need to do a better job at letting you know where, where that is. But, but it is included as a requirement. Yeah, yeah those goals are being met um, um, based on our contract milestones and, and based on, right, right, I think one of the concerns that we have is uh, we wish we could do more, but there's concerns with capacity. Um, uh, when we think about um, training organizations, pre-apprenticeship training organizations, job readiness uh, training organizations, uh, there's some concern about whether or not um, they have the capacity to do more because they, they need more funding, you know, to, in order to, for us, especially in construction, to continue to meet our uh, work, future workforce demands. Um, right now, I believe we are at 4.4%, uh, which is, you know, steadily gone down since 2015 where we're at 10%. Um, and our contribution, direct contribution to uh, supporting those pre-apprenticeship training programs and uh, job readiness training programs are contributing to that success. However, um, you know, as we, as, as we continue to um, 
as when we think about infrastructure funding and the impact that will have on um, the number of uh, projects that will be up, we'll need more workers. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to make sure that um, our, our training organizations, pre-apprentice uh, pre training organizations, job readiness training organizations are able to kind of meet those demands and, so, and, and, and meet our future demands. Uh, and so, um, and, and will you all? So yeah, so the answer is yes. they are meeting, yes. the organizations that we are contracting with are meeting those goals. Well, yes. Okay. Thank indeed. you. That concludes my question. Yeah. Those are contractual obligations. I definitely want to build off of that comment. I mean, this is the proof is in the pudding, right? So we have goals. These are metrics. Let's KPI it and see how we're doing and course correct as we need along the way. And sure. so it was sort of like this annual start forum thing. We're making the goals, but in fact, there was you know 12 less overflights. There's some numbers to brag about. Let's not let's not bury the punch. Um, but the the question ultimately. So this is a was it five-year, $4 million contract, or three-year? Three-year. For maritime, yeah. For maritime. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so that, that's the full allocation of the money that we had for doing this, so no additional programs can be developed within that fund. Anything else would have to be additional uh, authorization from the port. And so that's the complete commitment of that. Yes. That was the cruise ship revenue issue, right? That's right. So, um, so when you just look at the, uh, one of the things that I think I dawned on me upon arrival at the port was that everybody recognized workforce is this huge problem. The great tsunami, the great tsunami, well, we're all bald by now. I mean, it's sort of like it, this thing has come over our head and we're just barely treading water, right? And so um, we're very aware, but everybody seems to have their own way to address the problem, right? And so the lack of coordination has been one of the things that's just been stunning to me. No criticism here, but everybody's got programs. And so I understand this is finally the week that this grand maritime strategy is going to be released that Ann Avery was delegated for doing. And I, I have no idea what the expectations is for this, but I would love to see, and what I'd love to see is a diagram that shows everybody's got a piece of this pie, but we're all, we're all part of the cake, right? You know, so that, that, that people are just like, you know, this is my little piece of the action, but in fact, it's a, it's a continuum, right? And, and one of the things that the goal here, I think, should always be to start younger and younger, to expose a kid to it. You know, like, I always use this analogy, like sort of, you know, more often than not, you're, back in the day, your parent was a Boeing engineer. And so dinner table conversation was about rivets. And then, so when you were thinking about school, you were thinking about things like aviation high school or pursuing a career like that. You know, we have a much more diversified economy. Things are not as likely to be like that. And all the trades are suffering the same challenge. I keep on thinking, you know, more likely than not, if you had a parent who is a, a tribal member, more likely than not, they're still collect, connected to the maritime environment. And that's one of the things that I always thought that this is a community to really target. You're not trying to indoctrinate them into the maritime. You're showing them opportunities in the maritime. And I'm glad we'll have a tribal liaison to help to that end. But in terms of just the numbers, so I'm hoping to see this grand plan and how we fit into this grand plan and hopefully create this graphic that shows we're all in it together and maybe have some economies of scale. When we go to the budget process, we go collectively, not in competition with each other. That's the goal, right? I think nobody is opposed to that idea. But just in terms of just the numbers we can contact, 
you know that that this is this is one of the concerns is like for it's expensive in this capacity problems as you point out but you know we're talking to like you know 40 to 50 at a time right you know and, and um, I'm sure this is important but one of the programs that I've been exposed to now and and it's and you point out here in your memo that you went to a core plus program and there were 650 uh, students present and just the concept that you would have like a shop class that you would just get this exposure not having to go to a dedicated program not having to you know have them come to you you know you go to them and I just think that recipe for success is always to try to find people where they're at and um, and so all of a sudden, they, and this has been proven in the, in the other trades, but so they just started in the maritime. And I just see that, you know, not at the exclusion of something else, but you touch them in high school. You may go to a dedicated high school. You may then go to get a certificate program. You may then, you know, go to the Coast Guard, or you may go, you know, intern on a ship. And I just see, I would love to show how, and we could support different parts of that food chain. <laughs> And, but I, I just think it would be really helpful for us to see that kind of picture. And I think it's also important for all the people that are dedicating themselves to this work to see themselves sure. in that chain of command or chain of collective nature, whatever mm. it is. Anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I can tell you, commissioners, uh, the, the employers and the partners are very pleased to see the port being an important player in workforce development and maritime. We are coming to this with your support and they are now beginning to look to us for additional partnerships and we are beginning to be at the as many tables as we can to begin to create that collage of all the efforts so I want to thank Tiffany for the work that she's been doing in maritime but yes I, I understand exactly what you're saying thank you um, I just have a simple question. I'm wondering if the numbers here reflect um, the folks who were engaged as part of our, um, our career fair effort targeting Afghani, Afghani, Af, Afghani and Ukrainian refugees. Yeah, the, the numbers will reflect them if they were able to find a job and pass the airport ID uh -huh. badge. The issue of language was a significant issue for uh, many of them that didn't have enough. English basics to pass the test, but if they were hired by employers, they would have been counted in those numbers indeed. We Wonderful. just don't, we do not track them as a separate subgroup, but we could certainly try and, and, and figure out how many of them were and get back to you with that uh, answer, Commissioner. Okay, I don't have any of the further questions from my colleagues. Okay, Great. with that, we're going to call a brief recess and we will reconvene here in five minutes. We have commissioners that need to get up and then we will lose our quorum, but we will meet back yeah. here. Thank you so much for and your then, And then we'll hear to our presenters. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This is Commission Vice President Toshko Hasegawa reconvening our public board meeting. The time is 2.04 and we can continue with our presentation. Actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave my seat so somebody can shift down this way for you. That way everybody has a mic. No, that's not a mic. It's not a mic. Is it on? Yeah, it's on. Okay. okay, and then I just wanna note for the record that Commissioner Hawkins exited the meeting about 1.30 this afternoon. Take it away. Thank you, staff. Okay. Mics are on.
Very good, commissioners. Uh, so, Sorry, Tiffany. Yeah. So we can present uh, great numbers and information, but it's always great to hear from those that benefit and uh, are part of our community partners. So. Very good. And just so that you know, um, as a point of order, we will lose our quorum at 3 p.m., okay. and that will be our hard stop. So let's make we our way We are through. not going to take too much time and we'll, because we ha you have one more presentation after this. So let me start with um, uh, the construction uh, uh, team members who will get us started, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Yes, hi, good afternoon on this much cooler Tuesday. I'm Mariana Hike. I'm the Pre-Apprenticeship Outreach and Retention Coordinator for the Northwest Carpenters Institute. Just want to give a little bit of background of our program and what we've done in partnership with the Port of Seattle. So we are really fortunate that as a Carpenters Apprenticeship, we have our own in-house state-recognized pre-apprenticeship program where we focus on crafts specific to general carpentry, interior systems, which is our drywall, acoustical ceilings, metal stud framing, Pile drivers, which do a lot of docks, bridge work, um, heavy highway, things like that. And then we are getting ready to pilot with the new green energy uh, grant that we got, Millwright Pre-Apprenticeship. So in that three weeks, obviously we give them craft-specific training on what they'd be doing subjective to like a first-year apprentice. We teach them a lot of soft skills, like what does it mean to have a good attitude, showing up on time, the realities of the job site, financial literacy. We team up with Qualstar Credit Union to teach them the basics of how to set up a weekly budget, to checking account, savings account, how to build credit, things like that. Successful graduates will get direct entry into the apprenticeship program. We purchase their first year tools, which is roughly about $700 for a first year complete tool set. We also give them $50 a week in gas cards, as well as buy their work clothes, their work boots. And then we have a, a mentorship program that we embed into the pre-apprenticeship and then well throughout their four-year apprenticeship program. So we continue that because retention is you know, pretty crucial to us. Because of the funding that we've been able to obtain in partnership with the port, uh, we've been able to train, and this is a total of our apprenticeship, or excuse me, our pre-apprenticeship, and then I'll break it down more specifically to this current cohort uh, funding that we have. We've been able to train and bring in 234 pre-apprenticeship graduates into the apprenticeship program. Of that, we have been able to bring in 37 women, which is 16%. We've been, been able to bring in 141 people of color, which is 60%. We've been able to bring in 17 veterans, which is 7% as well as for uh, reservists, which is 2%. Right now, we have brought in 81 of our graduates that reside in those economically distressed zip codes, and we're sitting roughly about 70% retention, and that's since we became state-recognized, which is in 2017 we became state-recognized. Uh, more specific to the Port of uh, Seattle, we had been awarded three total cohorts. Uh, our first cohort, we trained and graduated 12 students. Of the 12 students, we had two women, and six of our graduates were of our BIPOC community. And everybody's working now, which is huge. Uh, we are also looking, or we're actually getting ready to host a pile driver pre-apprenticeship cohort at our Kent Training Center. That class is set to begin on July 10th. And then we're going to host our final cohort um, for, focused on general carpentry, and that's also going to be at our Renton Training Center. So those dates are to be determined. Obviously, I'm going to encourage that our commissioners come check it out. We're just right down the road. Kind of take a look at what we're doing, get to meet the students, get to meet our instructors. We've got some great um, opportunity for some guest speakers. We've got folks not just from our awarding bodies, but we have contractors. You know, we play a huge role in making sure that you know, we're not only just training and retaining, but we're also making sure that there's a streamlined process of getting from pre-apprenticeship into the apprenticeship right onto a job site. So with that being said, I brought the amazing Tiffany, our pre-apprenticeship graduate, to come share a little bit about her background. 
Hi, um, thank you for letting me speak today. Uh, my name is Tiffany Robinson Duane. Uh, I went through the pre-apprenticeship program um, with the Northwest Carpenters Institute back in November, um, and it was an amazing experience. Um, everything that Mariana has said, I can vouch for and say that it's, it's actually true. Um, uh, they gave me the first year's tools, which is so incredibly helpful. Um, it was, you know, th three weeks intensive training of learning all the skills that I would need out um, on on the job. Um, and honestly, without without that training, without the tools, I don't think I would have been successful. Um, getting out onto the job site is is stressful enough and scary enough. Um, but because I had all of this training, I really felt capable and like I could, you know, show up and know how to do at least the beginner stuff and be able to listen and learn more um, with the other car the journeymen and journeywomen that I was working with on on site. Um, the gas card was incredibly helpful too. <laughs> um, it's it's an amazing program and was incredibly helpful. Um, becoming an apprentice, carpenter apprentice, has been kind of a lifelong dream of mine, and finally being able to do that um, has really been wonderful. It starts out at a living wage, and is going to you know continue on to an incredibly nice wage. Um, the benefits, you know, I have a family. The benefits are really amazing. Um, it, it's been a wonderful program, and everyone I talk to, I tell about this program because it's been so incredible for me. Um, and I've got, I have kids at home, and they are enjoying watching me learn all these new skills. Um, we got chickens this spring, and so I'm building a chicken coop and building some raised garden beds. And um, just yesterday, I was showing our 14-year-old, you know, all the things I'd been working on for the day, and he said, wow. Our yard's starting to look like we're millionaires. <laughs> so it's it's been an amazing experience for me, and I'm so thankful that I got this opportunity, um, and that I'm able to start. I mean, a little bit yeah. older, but able to get out there and start this new career that I have dreamed of being able to do for my entire life. Yeah. So, and I, if I could just add one last mini comment to that, because of funding such as you know, the Port of Seattle, we've been able to help to train, obviously, individuals that are underrepresented and come from underrepresented communities. You know, with the funding, we've been able to train and bring in, you know, more women and our people from our BIPOC community. So a huge thank you, because without your support, this could not happen, truly. Thank you very much. Um, one of the important elements is retention and uh, navigation support for a number of years so they continue on their path and continue to be successful. So we provide what we call wraparound services as well that allow us for money to be used for tools and other maintenance uh, items. So next I'm going to introduce our virtual person, uh, Grace uh, Dolente from the Urban League. So you're on, uh, Grace. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Grace Delente. I'm a youth engagement coordinator uh, with the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle. Um, and we have a partnership with the Port of Seattle to introduce the new um, Youth Maritime Career Launch Program. Um, and this initiative provides an opportunity for underrepresented youth and young adults um, employment opportunities with employers that we're working with in the maritime industry. Um, the whole goal of this program is to, is to establish an employment pipeline to diversify um, the maritime, work for, maritime workforce and get our young adults into entry-level jobs. Um, students who go through our program um, will go through job readiness trainings, maritime um, 
other maritime trainings and uh, certifications necessary based on their internship to be um, successful for the three-month internship this summer and fall. Um, not only are we helping guide our youth to self-sufficient wage careers, but we're also tackling generations of um, insufficient diversity, equity, and inclusion in the industry. Um, and I want to thank, thank the Port of Seattle, um, Tiffany, and Commissioner Mohammed for this partnership and the investment um, in our youth and young adults in our community. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. Uh, last but not least, uh, we have uh, Dinah Romero, who is a student in the Aviation uh, Maintenance Technician Program, AMT. She is going to be a great aircraft mechanics and a mechanic, and then beyond that, she'll be something else. But I'm going to let her speak about her experience. Dinah, thank you for being here. Thank you. Um, my name is Dinah. Um, I started the AMT program when I worked at the airport. I saw a flyer and I was like, oh, this seems interesting, so I'm just going to try it out. And I fell in love with it. And so now I'm in the second year of my program. I had a baby while I was in school, so I was nine months pregnant doing sheet metal and all of that stuff. Um, it's a really great program. There's, I think there's five women in my class, and that's a lot. Um, I've learned so much about just working around with the plane and the my teachers are amazing they help you they don't want you to fail and so they'll help every step of the way and I'm done with my airframe portion so they're still helping me take my FAA test this Friday and um, yeah I just really want to say this program really helped me out I just wanted a better career and if it wasn't for that flyer I don't know if I could I've learned about this program. I never know mechanics existed. So, <laughs> so it was really cool to see, like, oh, this is what's it about. So, yeah. Thank you, Dinah. And South Seattle College tells us that because of our pipeline of uh, students that we're bringing to the college, they have seen more women, women of color and people of color, register in what used to be a traditionally male, white male. Uh, program the aircraft mechanics so Diana you're part of an important group so thank you so much so commissioners with that we are done with your pre our presentation thank you very much thank you that was truly wonderful and we are rooting for you thank you so much for coming to share your personal testaments with us today thank you for having us um, I will turn to my colleagues and see if they have any questions for the group no? It's, it's just great to see you in person and to tell us firsthand. And while I want the data, this is even better. So thank you so much. <laughs> and Commissioner, I, I wanted to add in, too, as we talked about a little bit about the Core Plus. So one of the big things that we're doing uh, June 26th, 27th, and 28th at our Kent Training Center is we are partnering with Core Plus because the United Brotherhood of Carpenters has a OSPI-recognized curriculum called Career Connections. So we're inviting mm -hmm. all the schools across the state to come learn. We're going to have Apprenticeship 101. Uh, learn how we can be better support our schools. The contractors are going to be there. We're going to build out a project. Might be a good opportunity for you to come meet some educators That'd and kind of take a look at what we're doing in the construction industry, so we can get that, as we talked about, out into not just high schools but K through K through five and you know, the middle school um, age demographic as well. Can I ask? Did you, oh, Commissioner Mohammed, do you have questions? Um, so, did you see a physical flyer or electronic flyer? Um, both. Uh -huh. So I used to work for Alaska Airlines, and they would be like, "Oh, join this program if you want to. It's free." And so they would be constantly like telling us, mm -hmm. and there'd be flyers everywhere in the hallways. And so that's why I knew about it. Very good. The yeah. importance of flyers and outreach. So I'm wondering yeah. for staff, yeah. how many languages is that flyer translated into? We're 
We're uh, making sure the information is provided to our communities and our uh, workers at the airport in the four or five languages that are more important. So we are uh, we are on top of that already, very Commissioner. Good. So very indeed. good. Thank you very much. Anything thank else you. for my colleagues? Um, well, thank you guys for sharing your stories. It was really inspiring. Um, I, I love the fact that you saw a flyer, and I think you made the point about education. I, it's um, it's a good thing that you were exposed through that flyer, but I just feel like people should know about this from a really young yeah. age. And so to your point about connecting with our education systems and our schools will be really important. Someone can choose not to go down that path, but to find out a little as they're an adult. Yeah. I just feel like is a huge, huge missed opportunity, and to close that gap, we have to be more intentional and in partnering with our school systems. And so, however, as a commission, we could be supportive yes. in that. We'd, we'd be happy to. Or just uh, you get, get your work clothes on and come build a Adirondack chair. Yeah. <laughs> Will that solve that problem? I doubt that. <laughs> Thank you very much. For, uh, sorry, one more question. For high school students that are interested for opportunities coming up this summer, it's just around the corner. Is it too late for them? Oh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat like that? high school students that might be interested in opportunities over the summer and around the corner? No, I, absolutely not. Um, I can tell you, and I can obviously only speak on behalf of the carpenters. I mean, we have over, gosh, 30 articulation agreements with schools across the state, cool. and it's Eastern Washington as well. So, we are constantly outreaching to the CTE directors, even schools that maybe are not CTE approved but have have a construction somewhat based uh, program or looking to develop and getting out to the schools and, and figuring out how can we support you how can we get you exposed to the trades mm -hmm. so no i think it's i think it's still good timing awesome okay thank you commissioners thank you very much thank you. very good uh clerk hart please read the next item into the record and executive director metric will introduce it Thank you. This is agenda item 11B, the 2022 Apprenticeship and Priority Hire Annual Report. Commissioners, this presentation will share the successes and challenges of our Apprenticeship and Priority Hire program and offer a look forward on how we can enhance and improve this program for more community impact. For 2022, the port exceeded our overall construction workforce development goals for our capital projects. Geez, I think every time they put my talking points down, they take away the speaker's first points. Very good. So our presenters are uh, Janice Zahn, our Director of Engineering, and Samuel Pierce, Apprenticeship Program Manager. And I think Sherry Cook is available for any questions, Construction Labor Manager. So Janice, I believe I'm turning over to you. Uh, and just a point of yes. order before you get started, Janice, is that we are, have a hard stop at 3 o'clock p.m., so um, just be aware of the time there. Okay, thank well, you. thank you. Yes, we're excited to come before you and give you an update of how we did in 2022. I know you heard some uh, information about how we've been building investments from with port dollars and stories, and now we're gonna show you some numbers and data. Uh, next slide. And what you'll see is that it's, it is a cross-department effort to do this work, and you can see all the different partners amongst the port employees that are embarked on this work together. Uh, next slide. So as we have been doing this work, it is grounded in the resolutions that was adopted by the commission several years ago, both for apprenticeship and priority hire programs centered on improving access to these quality family wage careers in construction that you've already heard about previously. Next slide. 
So for 2022, what you'll hear from Sam is that we've had 40 projects where we've had apprenticeship within it. We have 22 projects with project labor agreements and of those 10 of those projects have priority hire embedded within it. And he is going to walk you through how we did in 2022. Next slide. Thank you, Janice. So in 2022, through the life of the projects, almost 1,900 apprentices worked 1.3 million hours. There were over 630 apprentices of color with over 418,000 hours work. There were over 173 female apprentices with nearly 134 hours work. In 2022, 93 priority hire workers earn $925,000 in wages and benefits. 404 apprentices earn over $6 million. $180 million construction payout to contractors in the priority hire and apprenticeship program with over $35 million paid in construction workers' wages. Next slide, please. Now, this slide shows the historical performance of the last three years. You will see increases in apprenticeship utilization, and we can attribute that to the participation of my position, along with the providing real-time data to contractors on a regular basis. This has also been made possible due to the strengthening of the regional pipeline of pre-apprentices through the support of the Port Workforce Development Initiatives. In 2022, there was an increase in non-PLA craft-specific projects. Now, these projects had strong utilization of people of color in the following crafts, roofers, painters, sprinkler fitters, and sheet metal workers. Now, these crafts historically have had the highest people of color participation on port projects. Next slide, please. Since taking over the apprenticeship utilization program in 2021, we have been able to create reporting that allowed us to look back at trends for this program. In recent years, we are seeing utilization for women has been lagging, but this year has shown improvement. Now, this is the second year where the contractors are receiving regular updates as to how they are performing against project goals. This has increased their overall awareness and has contributed to overall performance by allowing for early intervention to assist contractors in meeting their goals and identifying any challenges. Next slide, please. In 2022, the Port Major Construction Project provided opportunities for almost 400 apprentices across 50 different crafts. The craft that utilized the most apprentices were those on the right. On the left, you can see the other crafts that contributed significant numbers of apprentices. We want to take this opportunity to thank our labor partners for all of their efforts to provide quality workers and help grow the workforce in this region. Next slide, please. Now I would like to focus on the other program we administer, the Priority Hire Program. Now, this program requires poor contractors to hire workers from economically disadvantaged areas. The zip codes for these economically disadvantaged areas are defined by King County using the three criteria shown here. 
The goal for Priority Hire is an overall goal of 20% of total hours of each project each year to be performed by Priority Hire workers. There are no sub-goals in place for Priority Hire at this time, but we will be rolling out a five-year plan on Priority Hire goal percentages increases, as well as sub-goals of people of color, women, journey persons, and apprenticeship utilization. Next slide, please. Now on this slide, you can see the 42 priority hire zip codes currently in place. And in a couple of slides, we will show you a map specific to priority hire workers. Next slide, please. Now this slide provides a breakdown of 2022 performance of our priority hire program. We had 10 projects with priority hire goals. There were 93 priority hire workers who were paid nearly $925,000 in wages and benefits. Now, this was the second full year of administrating, administering the Priority Hire program. We are continuing to fine-tune our processes and getting better at helping contractors monitor and track their utilization, which in turn increases their ability to meet Priority Hire goals. We have developed an effective reporting system that gives support and contractors real-time Priority Hire metrics at least weekly. From there, we can collaborate to assist our contractors if they need help finding priority hire workers, or we can identify other issues that need to be addressed. Next slide, please. Now this chart shows where these workers live. The light color in indicates the lower number of hours from the zip code, and the darker color indicates the higher concentration of workers, hours. Now, contractors are sharing with us their challenges in the priority hire goals, including in this region, there are currently five public owners with priority hire programs seeking to utilize the same priority hire population. There are not always enough qualified priority hire workers to meet contractors' demands, while at the same time, not enough training slots to meet the demands for people who want to explore construction. We continue to support workforce development group to find and implement solutions to address these issues. And we plan to investigate how unions are implementing this program and dispatching workers to identify opportunities. Next slide, please. You can see in the three-year historical performance that we had more priority hire projects resulting in an increase of priority hire workers. Next slide. Thank you. Uh, the commission resolution requires tracking of priority hire by apprentices and journey workers. We also track by gender and ethnicity, but we do not have sub goals set for women or people of color at this time. Now I'd like to go turn it over back to Janice, the report. Yes, thank you. So you can see that for both apprenticeship and priority hire, we have exceeded the goals that were established by the port. And then as we look at our ongoing and upcoming work that's on the next slide, that some of the work that we are going to be embarking on, Sam talked about, of establishing sub-goals for journey workers and apprentices, also aligning project goals by project instead of by year to make it more consistent. We've been continuing to work with Seattle and King County to form a regional priority hire advisory committee we are also working with the city of Seattle with them in the lead to look at 
the economically distressed areas and how it's defined to make sure that we are specifically focused on those areas with the most workers that may not be as familiar with the construction trades. And then as Stam talked about, we are looking at um, implementing stepwise goals. We are gonna be updating our priority hire resolution. And then more importantly, and I believe that you heard a little bit about this from Carl Hugo in the previous presentation, that with the newly signed House Bill 1050, there are gonna be some changes that we're gonna need to make in our apprenticeship program to align with the provisions there, as well as we recognize that for the federal infrastructure grants, there are workforce development criteria embedded in those applications. So we wanna take a look at our programs to make sure that if there are any changes we need to make to be more competitive, that we are looking and taking care of that as well. Next slide. This is the, the last slide, and that is that as we look at our policy work by choosing the Regional Priority Higher Advisory Committee, it means that we are gonna be adopting those shared priority higher zip codes. Earlier, there had been some discussion about whether we would continue to use the King County zip codes to develop our own approach using the Ports Equity Index or expanding to other counties. At this time, I would say we are focused on King County and working regionally with Seattle and King County. Certainly, if you have any thoughts about that, uh, happy to uh, take feedback. And then Sam talked about the fact that we are looking at creating sub goals for women and workers of color. All of this rolls into preparing for our upcoming project labor agreement renegotiation. The PLA is good for five years and that renegotiation will be starting this summer. So some of the work that we are talking about here in terms of working in partnership with our labor partners would come into play in this renegotiation effort. We are also working, the staff is looking at a five-year priority hire goal where we're increasing our percentages over time. So that's our policy work. I will just conclude by saying that we couldn't do this work without both our internal partners across departments with the workforce development department as well as labor relations as well as our regional partners outside the port. We plan together, we talk about different policies and goals together. And then related to as we bring more women and workers of color onto our job site, a couple of things that we've done is we now have a culture of care video that is shown to all of the construction workers that come onto our job site at the safety orientation to make sure that we set clear expectations about what a acceptable worksite grounded in culture of care looks like. And we also have for the first time, our construction safety manual has been translated into Spanish, knowing that our largest uh, BIPOC workers working on port construction projects at this time are Spanish speaking workers. So I will stop there and take any questions that you might have. Muy bien, gracias. Um, Tenemos preguntas de mis com comrades? No sé. <laughs> yes, Commissioner Fellman. 
Thank you, Janice. Um, I, I had a couple of questions, and one seems, uh, I, I must be missing something. So when you say you're, we are meeting the goals, um, I, I don't see on that histogram where the goals are. I mean, we are achieving, um, we are achieving increasing performance, but what are we measuring it against? So that's. Um, uh, yes, so the priority higher goal is 20%, and we we are, I believe, Sam, at over 30% right now with our priority higher participation. Okay, Sam? So, yes, we are, we are a little over 30%. We are probably at 32 some odd plus percent for all of the uh, six uh, active uh, priority higher projects right now. And then for apprenticeship, we are also over the goal there as well. And for our non-PLA projects, the goal is 15%. And what was our, I have to pull up our PowerPoint presentation. Sam, do you have that number off the top of your head? For non-PLA is 15% and 10% and 15% for POC and 10% for women. And what was our what, what what did we actually achieve? The percentage that we achieved was, I'm trying to pull that up in our 22%. Thank you, Stacy. She, my, my data person's in the back here. So 22% is the actual utilization and our requirement on non-PLA projects is 15%. And on PLA projects, it's slightly higher. I believe it's 18% is the overall. Sam, do you have those numbers as well? I think Stacy might have those. Uh, that, that, that's fine. I, I just think, you know, in the course of this, an annual report that we're trying to evaluate progress, that we should be measuring it against our goals. And so just for, just for clarity, I see the trends, that's good. Um, but it's to the degree that they're meeting or exceeding our goals. It just, I'm glad we have the goals. I just don't don't see them as a, a metric by which we're measuring against. And then, but in the trend data, when we look at the apprenticeship historic performance trends, uh, where you have the time series from 2015 to 2022, um, it's interesting that the people of a people of color apprentices. Um, peaked at 2020, um, and 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 so I'm just wondering: is there a reason for for that? It was it was up at over 37 percent. We're currently at 34 percent. You know, it started at 25 percent, so we're still ahead of the game. But uh, is there any way you could help explain what the what were we doing so well in 2020? Sam? I, I really can't. I would have to look that up and get get and provide that. But I but I think it's probably because of what's the the, the type of crafts that were being utilized in 2020, and the and and the and that there were more people of color getting into the pipeline at that time. Uh, we also have Stacy with her hand up, so she's mm -hmm. done a lot of the data polls for us and information. So, Stacy, do you want to weigh in as well? 
I guess I'd like to build on what Sam was saying. I just wanted to make sure he covered that. It really is dependent on the type of projects that are in construction at the time. And uh, some of our uh, crafts have just traditionally a higher percentage of people of color. And that includes roofers, painters, sprinkler fitters, and sheet metal workers mainly. And so we could very specifically look at the data, but likely what it's going to show is that we had projects at the time that were heavy in those trades. Therefore, the uh, percentage was higher. Um, our people of color uh, goal is actually much lower. We traditionally have a much higher percentage um, uh, meeting people of color apprenticeship goals. Um, compared to uh, some like like our uh, female or our women category, we have a much harder time meeting those goals. So the focus tends to be um, on it has been in the last few years, say on women apprentices. So you can see that number increasing since 2020. That's definitely been where our focus has been the last few years. Okay, and thank you for that. Um, and I don't want you to go back to do what what projects were being contracted at that time but the um you know every year we hear about you know well it's sound transit I, although i don't see sound transit listed it's fine but king county city of seattle and the port all have these competing needs i don't know what phc is but i know we usually refer to sound transit as the those are the only organizations that or governments that are providing this level of you know uh, construction jobs and things like that what what is the oh the phc is the Priority Hire Advisory Council. So, um, so that has been formed. Is, is that exists now? That is one that we have been continuing to work with the two agencies on. Uh, Carl Hugo, with uh, working with Luis, has taken has been taking the lead on getting that group formed. The complexity is that the other two agencies have already had a committee for some time. So actually trying to get the the other two agencies and their own staff to be ready for this regional priority hire and any additional uh, policy action that they might need to make to make sure that happens. The city of Seattle does not have any language that precludes them from having a regional one. King County's language requires them to specifically go back and make that ask of their council. Well, I, I see inimical sense that you've identified this for years to do that. If we can help legislatively, politically, whatever, to uh, help make that point. Um, and I also like the fact that if we're going to play together in the pool, that we should use whatever zip code numbers that they're doing so that we are at least all reading off the same page, especially if we are later to the table. But thank you very much for your work. Very good. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. Um, I guess my only question is how do we report back our data, our successes, our lessons, our strategies to our labor partners? So we meet on a monthly basis with our labor partners. We have a labor management meeting where we talk about how we're doing on our projects and we have an we have a back and forth discussion with them. So it is a monthly basis. We also share with them the upcoming projects so they know what's coming and are thinking about their pipeline of workers and what we need to meet 
the needs of our projects. And then is there a feedback loop from the workers themselves about what worked in either recruitment or retention, particularly from women, um, where we had a really intentional strategy to be able to close that gap and it seems we've done well? Yeah, so I would say we, we do have a discussion about that. And in particular, I'll, I will bring up the baggage optimization project where we had seen that their numbers were not reaching the 12% women. And over time, we, through lots of discussion with them and working with labor, they were able to meet their goal for women uh, working on the project. And I also heard folks when they said that one cited barrier is, you know, the need for child care. So as we continue our discussions, we'll just take that under advisement um, in terms of future budget discussions around child care. I don't have any further questions, seeing none. Oh, Commissioner Mohammed. First of all, thank you guys for the work that you do. I just had a quick question. Um, I wanted to know when it comes to priority hire and workforce development, what, where is that funded through? What source of funding do we use? Does that come from a mixture of our airport maritime or tax levy dollars? I can't remember, so I'm hoping someone can help me answer that. Well, so for our priority hire uh, resources, uh, Sam Pierce is our program manager, and we did get a, a mid-year request for having an additional support for both Sam on the priority hire and implementing the apprenticeship. But we, outside of that, do we run a very tight uh, resources in terms of that support. So we are not requesting any additional dollars for that. The time that they spend on the projects are uh, part of the, the cost of administering the project. So it is allocated through each of the projects that uh, Sam supports. It's budgeted through the projects? Well, we, it is part of the, the staff cost to support the project. So when Sam is working on uh, talking with the contractors about how they're doing with priority hire and that effort. So we we do not have a separate budget for where does the staff the, cost the come staff from? time? Where does sorry to cut you off? Where does the staff uh, time come from? The staff funding for that? Uh, we budget it within the overall uh, soft cost of of our projects. Got it. Thank you. All right. Well, seeing no further questions or comments from my colleagues, I'd like to thank our presenters and staff for this presentation. It was incredibly informative. We appreciate the work that you all do. Thank you, Sam. Thank, thank you. you, Janice. Thank you. Thank you, Luis. Um, and that concludes our business meeting agenda for the day. Um, I, are there any closing comments at this time or motions relating to committee referrals from commissioners? Seeing none, I think Executive Director Metric has an exciting update for us. Uh, yeah, I have two things I'd like to mention, uh, Commissioners, and thanks for your time this afternoon. Uh, the uh, two of them is some breaking information from um, about some awards at the Airport Minority Advisory Council um, Business Airport uh, Business Diversity Conference taking place in San Antonio, Texas. And I just uh, well, there's a couple things that happened. Uh, um, Kalia Moore, our senior manager of airport dining and retail, was named Emerging Leader Award. 
then also a concession inclusion award as well. So she received two awards. And uh, I just heard this, uh, this afternoon, Aviation Managing Director Lance Little was named Airport Director of the Year by AMAC as well. So congratulations to, uh, to both of them. So I think that's great news. So, and then commissioners, I did want to just update you on one other thing that I thought uh, involved somebody working on the outside of the port, but uh, I think it's uh, illustration of some of the impact that even just the operations that we have. Um, I was down looking at uh, uh, cruise operations down at uh, Pier 66 this weekend, and, and I got to meet uh, a, a great uh, gentleman named Cleveland McNabb, who actually has been covered in one of the blogs that Kathy did about this great 25-year uh, veteran Kathy, I don't Kathy's know. Team. Kathy's team, not Kathy, but uh, but anyway, Kathy's <laughs> team put the content there. But but he is a great employee who uh, who was uh, really impressive, and I got to talk to him about all the things he's working on. About he works for American Guard Services and a 20, 25 year veteran of the armed forces, but brings to that job just all these things that he's uh, focuses on, including making friends, meeting people, uh, serving others, and mentoring young people. Because if you were when I saw him in action, when you see this. Uh, choreographed uh, stuff that goes on there, but you see young people directing traffic and really under his under his watchful eye, making sure a lot of things happen. It was really impressive to do that. But probably I was there and I recognized him personally for something that took place about about a month ago, which is I was walking back along the waterfront when there was a cruise operation going on, and I looked up at the sky at the bridge that goes across from the parking lot, and a young person climbed over the rail and was looking like they were going to jump off uh, right where down where myself and Katie Gerard were standing. And we were looking up, trying, everybody was going around there. And it was Cleveland McNabb that ran over, grabbed this person, and then pulled him up over the rail and basically saved his life. And then, and then well, by the time I got up there, he was holding him and just talking to him, telling him everything's all right. And I just wanted to say that because it was really, it made an impression on me and I got to shake, shake, shake his hand and thank Cleveland personally for those actions that he took uh, about a month ago. So it was just uh, that recognition of really caring, it's about the, the values of the port in the, our port of, you know, all those things were kind of personified in the, the actions that he did. But to save somebody's life like that, I don't know, all of us maybe called on that. I don't know if everybody would take action like that immediately to do that without um, risking and uh, thinking about themselves. Anyway, I just thought that was wow. good news and I thought I would pass that along. Those pieces of great positive information of things going on here. At the and park. Steve, do you have any update on the status of that child that was struck at the airport? I did hear that the, the that uh, was expected to make a full recovery. So I'm going to look back at Kathy, but that's, but I heard it was positive. I heard it was really positive about the impacts of that. But we can report back to you, Commissioner. Okay. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. Thank you all so much. Hearing no further comments and having no further business, if there's no objection, we are adjourned. <laughs> adjourned. <laughs> 2.48 p.m. <laughs>